Principles of Economics, my complete guide to understanding economics, is now available in hardcover, audiobook, and ebook from SafeAdeen.com, Amazon, and many more booksellers worldwide. And now, I am also teaching a course based on this book on my website, SafeAdeen.com. Principles of Economics will run the whole academic year, from September to June, and will have a new lecture every two weeks, as well as weekly live online discussion seminars open to learners from all over the world and from all walks of life. Whether you're a student, a professional, or a retiree, you are making economic decisions every day, and this course will arm you with the wisdom of centuries of economists to improve your economic decision-making. You'll also get a free book of Principles of Economics if you sign up for the course. Go to safeaddeen.com and sign up now. The Bitcoin Standard Podcast is brought to you by Orange Pill App, the Bitcoin-only social network that connects you with high-signal Bitcoiners, events, and now merchants as well. If you're like me and can't stop talking about Bitcoin, you know how challenging it can be to talk to the no-coiners and how nice it is to talk to someone who gets you. With the Orange Pill app, you can find the Bitcoiners near you and they can replace the no-coiners in your life. You can organize events and meetups with local Bitcoiners and wherever you travel, you can meet up with local Bitcoiners all while being as anonymous as you like. So if you want to build your local network of Bitcoiners, find a Bitcoin meetup or merchants accepting Bitcoin, head over to orangepillapp.com to sign up or download the app from the App Store or Google Play Store and send me a DM so we can get connected. The Bitcoin Standard Podcast is brought to you by CoinKite. CoinKite are my favorite makers of Bitcoin hardware. They produce the legendary Open Dime, the first Bitcoin bearer asset, as well as the reliable cold card hardware wallet, the excellent stainless steel seed plates for storing your seed phrases, and the block clock. Now, CoinKite have produced the SATS card, a card the size of a credit card which can store Bitcoin and works great as a gift. CoinKite have just produced a limited edition gorgeous Bitcoin Standard SATS card, which carries the Bitcoin Standard logo, and you can get it from coinkite.shop slash Bitcoin Standard. Use the code Bitcoin Standard to get 5% off your purchase. This podcast is also brought to you by the Bitcoin Way, your professional Bitcoin IT team offering you personalized, secure, and comprehensive solutions for every step along your Bitcoin journey. The Bitcoin Way offer live concierge service to guide you with your Bitcoin cold storage, running your node, privacy best practices, inheritance planning, corporate strategy, and multi-sig solutions. They don't touch your coins, they guide you through the process of acquiring your coins and securing them. If you'd like to make your setup safer and more reliable, book a consult with them and see what they have to suggest. If you want to give someone the gift of Bitcoin, get them this professional service that will ensure they start off knowing exactly how to manage their coins and not lose them. Go to thebitcoinway.com and start Bitcoining more confidently. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Bitcoin Standard Podcast Seminar. In today's seminar, our guest is going to be Giacomo Zucco, the famous Italian Bitcoin maximalist. If you've been on Bitcoin Twitter, you've definitely come across him in one of his many uh, guises and identities that he chooses to identify with every other day. But um, in the real most uh, common uh, identity, he is an uh, Italian technology entrepreneur and a Bitcoin advocate who's launched a number of Bitcoin startups. Um, he's a very toxic Bitcoin maximalist in the most positive way you can imagine. And uh, he has uh, 
contributed a lot of analysis to uh, a lot of work to the analysis of uh, altcoins. Um, and in particular, I credit uh, Giacomo with um, playing a large role in inspiring uh, the writing of the fiat standard because uh, at Baltic Honey Badger in Riga in 2019, his uh, presentation was um, still manning the case for altcoins. He was trying to present, you know, what is the best case for uh, altcoins? If he wanted to make the best case in defense of um, altcoins, what would it be? And um, that at that time, when I was, uh, you know, thinking about Bitcoin and fiat and uh, all the questions raised in the Bitcoin standard and thinking about a next book, that struck me as a great thing to apply to fiat. You know, let me just do the same thing with fiat. Let's try and think about how fiat works and let's make the steel man case for why fiat is good. And from that um, basically came uh, the fiat standard from trying to approach fiat as just another altcoin, which effectively it is, you know, all of them just... Uh, digital easy money that a uh, small group of uh, corrupt devs can control and uh, pump and dump and drug pull, as we see happen, uh, you know, with um, national sh- shitcoins and uh, private sector shitcoins, um, particularly this year and, well, every year, really. So, uh, Giacomo, thank you for joining us. Thank you for inviting me, and I'm honored for this introduction. I really loved the Bitcoin standard, and I was thrilled to know that the Fiat standard was partially inspired by my presentation. Actually, the first one to tell me to tell me was a, was a friend that probably heard it in in some podcast that you that you previously mentioned. So <laughs> it was really uh, an emotion for me. <laughs> Glad to hear that. Glad. Thank you. Thank you for uh, the inspiration. You know, I went and. Uh, I mean, it, I, I spent three years uh, slaving away at a book and self-publishing, but uh, <laughs> it's uh, I'm not blaming you for that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but today we're not here to talk about altcoins, uh, much as uh, that would be fun. What we wanted to discuss is the concept of Bitcoin as dark money. And so Giacomo had uh, written an article and given a presentation explaining his um, perspective for why Bitcoin needs to be dark money on top of hard money in order for it to work. So in uh, the Bitcoin standard and in this podcast, we've uh, repeatedly uh, mentioned and discussed the aspect of Bitcoin as hard money. And basically that refers to the fact that the supply of Bitcoin cannot grow beyond the uh, predetermined algorithm. There's only going to be 21 million Bitcoin and the supply growth rate continues to decline with time as the um, uh, as the production of the coins increases, the supply growth rate declines. Nobody has been able to change this over the last 12 years. And that's really the um, key point in the Bitcoin standard, which is that ultimately this is... Uh, this is what makes Bitcoin the hardest form of money ever. Um, all other forms of money are going to be uh, inflated and they're going to have their supply increased at, uh, at an uh, increasing rate, most likely over time, because you know our technology for digging copper and um, oil and gold and all other kind of uh, raw materials continues to improve. So we're always making more gold and silver and copper and everything. And our technology for fiat inflation seems to also continuously improve. Governments seem to always uh, come up with new and amazing technologies for uh, fleecing and destroying the lives of their populations and impoverishing them and uh, putting them into generations of abject, destructive, cruel, murderous poverty 
um, they just keep getting better at it. And there's always new explanations. You know, it's the weather is now a very strong one and uh, winter illnesses are another one. You know, all of these things necessitate uh, money printing. It's amazing. The technology has advanced so much that central banks will find um, <laughs> an excuse for uh, inflation in pretty much anything that happens. You know, the sun rose today. We need to print money. The sun set today. We need to print money. So Bitcoin resists that because it is hard money. But Giacomo argues Bitcoin is also dark money and it needs to be dark money for it to be hard and for it to work. So uh, why do you think that is the case? So I think that is the case mainly for three orders of reasons. I will just tell you briefly uh, that all the three of them and then we can just discuss uh, each of them. They are in increasing order of being controversial with you probably. I think the last one I will have a hard time to convince you, but I do have to convince you. Why? Because I gave a presentation in Las Vegas where I basically confront the people in Bitcoin with different cultures and I used you as an example of somebody that is a little bit on the front of harmony but can still understand understand dark money. If you are not convinced by the end of the podcast, I will have to change my presentation and I hate that. I hate changing the slides. So I need to convince you. So, the so you're counting on the, my open-mindedness. Is basically yeah, the, you're famous open-mindedness. Yeah, I mean, exactly. you're, you're the most yeah. famous. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, the first one is not controversial, I think, but it's a weak argument, I think. The, the third one is controversial, but it's stronger. The first one goes, goes like this. Bitcoin was actually born for privacy in a context of uh, privacy-seeking people. It, uh, most of this technology makes sense if you assume that it was trying to protect uh, darkness in the sense of strong anonymity of people using it. And every lack of anonymity you get is more a bug than a feature in the mind of its creator, which is, by the way, a pseudonym guy or group of people that we don't know. So the first, uh, the first argument is historical. Become was born out of the search for darkness. It was used first in the dark web. Uh, when I say dark money, I don't mean the necessarily the money that goes to a politician for, for lobbying. That's just one use case you can have. But dark money as something that basically is, is, is protected, is confidential if you don't want to reveal it. So the first argument is Bitcoin was born for that. Of course, there is an easy counter argument. Even if you agree with this, you can just say, okay, it was born for that, but many people, many things can be invented for one reason and, and then pivot for, to, for to something completely different. And then the design, design characteristic born for the first reason, they just uh, remain there as a relic, but they're not really useful. The second argument is that you individually do need darkness in your use of Bitcoin. So I will try to argue that it's better for you if you maximize the privacy of your Bitcoin usage in general, and you will reduce security risk for you and your loved ones. So it's a, it's a very local thing. The third argument, which I think will be the most, uh, the most controversial between, between us, will be that Bitcoin in general, in order to succeed as hard money, will actually need general uh, widespread darkness, which is probably a harder sell. But, but, but let's try. So I think that the, the first one is, again, is uncontroversial. Uh, Bitcoin was uh, born inside the cypherpunk culture. The main point was to search for uh, a electronic cash. And unlike Roger Verse's uh, idiocy, cash in this context doesn't mean cheap and fast to send across distance. It's the other way around. Cash is very slow and expensive to send over distance. The advantage you have with cash is basically that uh, 
it's uh, it's not tied to your identity so it's it's really not depending on uh, your good relationship with the third party you cannot be censored you cannot be easily charged back it's final settlement it's settlement exactly. it's money that speaks for itself that doesn't require any more behavior on your part for it to continue to work and that's that's really like the, connect, the correct definition of cash which as you said is not the one that the bcashers used exactly it's the other way around it's very cheap to send uh, cre- credit across countries, but it's very expensive and slow to send cash. And uh, and it was it was searched for in the context of the, of the general crypto anarchist and and cypherpunk ideal, where the point went uh, basically like this: in the physical world, we don't have any hope to just improve our freedom because it's just too much screwed up. But in the cyber space, we can detach our physical. Uh, identity from our uh, basically cyberspace identity. And if we do like that, the amount of pain that the government can inflict uh, onto us is reduced because they don't know who we are. We can use several identities, one for each meaningful exchange. And so we can basically reduce the attack surface to us personally. And thus we can increase privacy, increase freedom and increase, uh, we can increase basically uh, free market interaction among individuals. It's very difficult to hurt people. Uh, also, it was the 90s and people were not easily hurt by online comments and, and, and words. <laughs> they, actually, they were thinking about actually hurting people back then. So uh, this was the, the initial concept. And if, we, if you don't want that, if you don't want anonymity of the participants, many of the security assumptions of Bitcoin will be simpler and you will end up with a completely different system. So I guess you do concede this point already, right? It, it was the original point in, in, the, in the white paper. There is an entire chapter about privacy and Satoshi says something like this. Unfortunately, being Bitcoin a global consensus system, we cannot easily detach information about the linking of many uh, uh, public keys. What we can do is just uh, completely cut off the, inter- the, the linking between one pri- public key and, uh, and one individual. And if we do that, we can recreate some sort of privacy, which is still better than the online payment uh, means we have today where we have uh, continuous leaks uh, of uh, private information or sensitive information and stuff like that. So. This first argument is very, is very plain. You can say, for example, anonymity was important for Satoshi himself because he would have been persecuted like uh, e- gold creators have been uh, or, or, or basically uh, Liberty Reserve, Liberty Dollar. You can't keep making all the counter arguments. Like, oh, sorry, sorry, I mean, sorry. you have well, to... <laughs> let's stop here. Let's stop here. Then we will progress. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, uh, you're, you're really going out of your way to prove the maximalist haters wrong by taking every position possible on the debate, <laughs> expressing it, <laughs> showing you know them so, all. <laughs> yeah. No, but I mean, I, uh, I, I agree on this one. Uh, I, I don't think we disagree on uh, this, on the first point of the fact that it is the origin and uh, the intention. Um, but yeah, go ahead. The syllabus for my new online economics course, Principles of Economics, is now available on safedean.com. The course will take place over 18 lectures, each based on one chapter from my new book, Principles of Economics, which will be available for free as an ebook for everyone registering for the course. Lectures will be released once every two weeks on Mondays, starting on the 25th of September, 2023, 
and will be available in video and audio format. Live discussion seminars will be held once a week on Thursdays at alternating time slots, 12 hours apart, to ensure learners can attend from all over the world. I'm happy to announce that I have set up my new publishing house and online bookstore, The Safe House, which will be publishing and delivering the best Bitcoin and Austrian economics books worldwide in hardcover, audiobook, and ebook formats. Go to thesafehouse.com to buy my latest book, Principles of Economics, as well as the Fiat Standard and the Bitcoin Standard. And now I'm also publishing Fiat Food, Matthew Lishak's amazing investigation into how inflation ruined our diet and health. And I'm also publishing Lynn Alden's Broken Money, her masterful exploration of the failures of the global financial system and how Bitcoin fixes it. This is a Bitcoiner's bookshop, so the books are printed in beautiful cloth hardcover made to last with an ice-colored dust jacket on top. Go to thesafehouse.com and get yours now. Okay, the second is, is a little bit trickier. The second is, if you really disregard privacy and darkness in Bitcoin, so if you don't use it with uh, at least a strong uh, uh, awareness and a strong focus on the characteristic of darkness, you will have problem in the, I mean, not you, but probabilistically everybody, every single user. Uh, for example, let's think about, let's think about uh, buying Bitcoin uh, and putting it in a hardware wallet, a ledger hardware wallet. And so you, you put your uh, home address in the ledger uh, website for the delivery. And then there is a leak. And this list of uh, hardware wallet pur uh, purchases, uh, it, it just goes public. Actually, it just goes in the darknet. And, um, and from there, people will use this uh, information to target specifically uh, people buying these other wallets. And this will increase the uh, efficiency of attacks. And these attacks can be of different, uh, different orders of magnitude. The, the basic one, the most lucky ones, they just got uh, phishing attacks, which is just uh, your, your uh, hardware wallet is broken. Put here your 12 words in order to restore it. And they fall for it. And the second one is blackmail, like I know where you live and if you don't pay this address, something bad will happen to your car or to you. And the third one is actual attack, where actually somebody will visit you in order to get your Bitcoins. And these attacks are facilitated by the knowledge of private information that you, that you basically give them entering in this list. Of course, that doesn't mean that uh, uh, people with fiat did not have this problem, but the difference with Bitcoin is that uh, it's a bigger instrument, it's cash, in the sense that if somebody comes to you and steals uh, your uh, Amazon shares, uh, it's not, uh, they are not bigger instruments anymore, they're just a name base, they can, they can easily censored, and though, uh, it, uh, and basically, since they can be easily censored, they can be not easily stolen. It's very hard to basically use Amazon shares as a, as a blackmail loot. It's very easy to go away with stolen Bitcoin. It's very easy to torture people to get their Bitcoins, to kidnap people, to blackmail people, or just to fish people online. Uh, so if this, um, if this basic uh, mistake of ending up in a ledger marketing list was already dangerous to several people, what about entering a KYC list? So what, what the KYC list in exchange is, is a similar list that can get leaked, but instead of getting leaked among, uh, instead of just being shared among 10 people in Ledger marketing department, it is shared every week by hundreds of people across tax agencies all around the world. And it includes your proven residency, 
your, uh, your actual um, valid documents and every amount you purchased and withdrawal and the on-chain address of withdrawal so they can even check your future spending on your past spending. So my point would be that even if systemically, globally, and that we will discuss later, your, your dark, darkness may not be important for money itself, for a beer instrument like Bitcoin, which is, easy, which is very portable, very saleable across space, so the, the, the thief, the blackmailer, the, the kidnapper can easily escape with that. Uh, it's very important that you don't connect too many personal information to that. So th the culture of darkness in Bitcoin will, in this case, not be strictly related to his monetary functions, but mostly a cautionary uh, awareness that we need to, to strongly support and, uh, and, and teach because uh, holding a very easy to port bearer instrument is dangerous. It's more dangerous than with fiat. That's that would be the point. Obviously, I agree entirely on the idea that uh, you know privacy is definitely. Um, of, of course, I, I don't believe in the notion that privacy is a right, and I think you agree with me because nothing is a right that is uh, involves positive actions on others. In other words, I don't have a right to demand that uh, a website that I buy something from deletes my uh, information. I, it's not a right. It's something that I could ask from them and uh, something that, you know, I could decide to not buy from them if they won't respect it. And I will go to their competitor who will offer it. And likely, I think in a free market, we would get a lot more respect for people's privacy just because if people want it, um, there is no coercive authority that will have to force them to disclose it. You know, So I think in a, in, in, in a free market world in which government didn't try to interfere with all of those things, we'd have a lot of more, a, a lot of margin for people to be, um, for people to gain their privacy. In other words, you will just buy things with uh, without wanting to disclose your information. And if people want that, then sellers will provide that thing. I think the the problem with the second point, and let's uh, let's first go back to the first point. I, I agree in terms of the origin. It, makes sense. And I obviously agree with the motivation that the, um, yes, it's good that we have a digital tool that allows people to have this uh, money that isn't uh, surveilled by their government and that isn't trackable. Um, clearly, th there's nothing wrong with the goals. What I'm uh, struggling to see is what you take as an assumption in the second point, and I'm not entirely sure it is correct, which is that, so you're saying that it is important for security that you, uh, that your information about your Bitcoin is not disclosed. But you're saying that that is the case because the person who can attack you can get away with your uh, Bitcoins. But in a sense, that's the point that we're trying to see whether it's true or not. You know, we're in um if they, if privacy is not uh, easy on Bitcoin, then the attacker cannot get away with it, and then therefore the dynamic changes a little bit. And this is this is, I think, the point that is more interesting at this point um, from a technical perspective. And it's a point that I think is is extremely sophisticated, and there are no clear answers to it. Like there's no um, there's no um, there's no reliable button you can click on Bitcoin that will make this private. You know, there's no way to just uh, uh, remove the history of your coins from the blockchain. That's, you know, the coins were mined on a certain day, they moved around and there's just no way that you can um, completely uh, offer users 
um, you know, just click a button and you will have privacy and nobody will ever be able to detect it. It's always a, uh, it's an adversarial game. So it depends on who's looking and it depends on who's um, hiding and how good you are at hiding and how good they are at looking, what the tools that are available for you are and what the tools that are available for them are. So you might be able to hide your Bitcoin, say, from your husband or from your parents or from, um, but you won't be able to hide them from maybe your government, you know, different kinds of levels of scrutiny. Um, uh, different levels of uh, technical uh, capabilities at the disposal of the CIA versus um, your parents or your uh, wife or whatever. So um, th this is really the question. And I'm thinking uh, in particular, I think a couple of cases recently um, suggest to me that maybe um, people overestimate the likelihood of getting away with uh, uh, stolen Bitcoin. Because two particular cases that were uh, busted recently, one is the uh, uh, Bitfinex hack, which uh, we were discussing with uh, Paolo Arduino last week on uh, this seminar, he was our guest. And, you know, this was a significant sum. In that time, it was in the tens of millions of dollars, I believe, or maybe hundreds, I think tens. And now it's probably in the billions of dollars or more than a billion dollars or something like that, the sum that was hacked. So the people who were able to hack that were clearly highly sophisticated uh, and technically competent people. You know, they managed to hack uh, one of the biggest exchanges at that time. These are not your average computer user. These are, in terms of their competence with... Um, uh, coding and cryptography and encryption, um, you would imagine they would be at the very least in the top one percentile, if not in the top uh, one millionth of the general population, you know, to be able to get to that kind of level. That's a very, very high technical bar. And yet, uh, what is it, uh, five years later, six years later, um, they were tracked down, it seems. Similarly, in Laura Shin's uh, book on uh, uh, the uh, Ethereum shitcoin, she, uh, with uh, the in help of um, some chain analysis companies, she claims to that they have managed to uncover the person who was behind the Ethereum DAO hack, and uh, that's also at that time it was a hundred million or something. Now it's uh, probably in the billions. Um, but, uh, again, it was managed, they managed to track down his identity and it seems, I mean, the guy hasn't been persecuted and I don't think it is a crime what he did because, you know, they said that this is just software and the software is, the code is law and you just run the software and he ran the software. So I don't, I don't think there was anything criminal that he did. This is, um, you know, um, a bunch of children put their parents' money in the middle of the street and surrounded it with magic, uh, um, magic tape and said, this magic tape will kill anybody who touches it. And we challenge you to try. And then you go and you take it. You're not a criminal. I like you know, to say put... that he, he was not a DAO hacker. He was the DAO lawyer because the code is law and he just read the code and he just followed the code and enforced it. <laughs> and they are the hacker that tried to take it back. 
Exactly. Yeah, they are the hackers who basically destroyed. And, and really, this is what I, I, I've said before. This was the the real hack was not the money that was taken. The real hack was to destroy Ethereum's claim for immutability. They had to pivot to all these new stupid buzzwords um, that they pivoted to. You know, they went to CryptoKitties and NFTs and Ponzi schemes and DeFi and Yield and all of that stuff. All of that is because they had to break their original uh, narrative, which is... Uh, um, build unstoppable applications and code is law and uh, blah, blah, blah. In any case, we said we're not going to talk about uh, shitcoins today, so let's not get distracted. But the point is, the guy who, you know, the, the guy who liberated the funds from the contract um, also seems to have clearly, have, you know, knows a thing or two about how to use computers, clearly. So he's obviously very technically competent. And yet, there seems to be pretty decent evidence. You know, I'm not a lawyer and I'm not going to... Um, so, so allegedly, there seems to be some evidence that uh, he's uh, uh, he may have been identified. So it seems, I think the contention that this, um, so I agree with you on everything, but I think the, the idea is that realistically, it seems to be that the longer time goes by, the more the likelihood of stolen Bitcoin being identified and I think the really um, different thing about it is that even though you might be able to get away with them without identif- being identified, you'll never be sure. Like there's ne- you, you can never really be entirely sure because you'll never know what data might be uncovered from what machine at what point and um, how um, identities might be linked. So I think the prospect of um criminals being able to get away with stolen bitcoin is probably um i don't know what do you think is is probably overstated i think um perhaps let me let me put it this way perhaps because we want it to be like that because we want it in a sense similar to the kind of uh, be casher narrative where initially a lot of the early bitcoiners thought that bitcoin was just going to be you know all of their um personal banking uh, problems are going to be solved. It was a very, very parochial, narrow, um, you know, basically um, very local view of what the problem of banking is. You know, I, I get charged overdraft fees on my credit card and sometimes um, the fees are high and I can't send money um, easily. And it's just obviously that software is going to come and that's Going to solve this, and so there was an overstating of the fact that you know many of the early Bitcoin um, um, evangelists and um, personalities did say things like Bitcoin is going to offer us instant free transactions. You know, this was I think something that Andreas said many times: instant and free transactions. And many people came in with this idea that this was magical software that is just going to allow us infinite transactions for free every minute with this magical thing called blockchain. And then you dig a little bit under the surface and realize, oh no, wait, there's a block size limit and there's a limit to transactions. And there's a block every ten minutes, and it's a little bit more complicated than that. There's not enough transactions to do, um, you know, commercial uh, transactions of a small town, let alone the whole world. So clearly, this is going to have to scale differently so maybe we're seeing something similar with um with privacy in the sense that the intention perhaps was there and the desire is there that maybe we want to have something that is completely private and uh, but in order to make the technology work it doesn't seem to um have matured in this way and it might be because i think that this is where i think 
you know, um, perhaps the, um, the driver for this is just, just a lot of people went in through KYC. I think this is perhaps something that early Bitcoiners and probably Satoshi did not, Satoshi did not anticipate. I think they thought it would grow um, organically that people will start trading Bitcoin with one another. But I think realistically what has happened is that uh, people acquired Bitcoin from KYC services rather than uh, um, through trade. And so therefore, most Bitcoin in reality is linked to KYC identities or is held on exchanges uh, for people and or is, you know, one hop off of an exchange with an identity that is known. So that makes hiding a lot more complicated. What do you think? So I think that your counterpoint is obviously good. It makes sense. If uh, if darkness is low for you and so you can be attacked because people know more about your private information, then it's also lower uh, for the same tool for uh, for the... Yeah, it's a great itself. way of putting it, yeah. Yeah, but uh, I think that the, even if it's uh, true on an absolute level, there are still very important relative, uh, relative difference, especially. The first one is that uh, privacy in Bitcoin and darkness in Bitcoin is pretty loosey with very high volumes, with very uh, big sums. For example, the sum that you basically, uh, that, that, that you mentioned about Bitfinex is a very huge sum. There is no way, there is no liquidity actually for any kind of tool, including privacy-oriented shitcoins. So we, we, we introduce another shitcoin uh, off topic, including even if the, 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 the Bitfinex hacker did use uh, Zcash or Monero or whatever, there is no an, an liquidity to just uh, eliminate obvious links between any kind of market activity in any kind of tool. But the point is that uh, among the alternatives, if the Bitfinex act used the, the, the only alternative that would be more effective than Bitcoin for the same amount would have been a bank transfer with a corrupt bank that the hacker would have actually uh, enjoyed a very strict political connection. Exactly. And I think like realistically, Bitcoiners need to understand that, you know, if you, if you want to do crime, like your, your competition is, <laughs> is, not some, is not the people you see in Hollywood that, uh, smuggling drugs uh, between Mexico and the US. Your competition well, you, is HSBC. And <laughs> you see, but yes, the but Deutsche at bank. that scale. So I think that kind of criminal uh, tools like banks, they are very effective, more effective in Bitcoin at that scale. If yeah, if I'm, I'm, so, I'm sorry to interrupt again, but like a, a, po a point that I've made before is that in a fiat system, banks can create money. You know, if they decide that they're going to issue a loan to you to sell your house or start a business, they are making new money. So imagine how useful that is for criminals because like you're Deutsche Bank and you want to move money around, you just create a bunch of money in one country and destroy a bunch of money in another country and play the games in the back end with you and you can move money around the world without anybody knowing around it just by creating and destroying money here and there. And, uh, you know, Bitcoin has nothing like that capability. Like if you really want to play at the high levels of crime, there's that you can't compete with that. Bitcoin, you know, there's a, there's a proof of work that you can't just go and do a Deutsche Bank, uh, because you got paid by a bunch of criminals and you got taken over by a, a board of alleged, uh, nefarious characters as we allegedly hear about some banks. Um, it, it, it's very difficult with Bitcoin. There's, <laughs> we, every node is watching every transaction. You know, you can't have that in fiat uh, in the same way. 
Agreed. Fiat is the perfect money laundry for very big sums, but the entry barriers to, to use these money laundry tools, the political entry barriers are very, very high. In Bitcoin, you have basically the same threshold, but in the opposite direction. When you go over a certain amount, it becomes very, very hard to, to, to basically delete connections and to mix, into, to mix up into the crowd because there is not enough crowd, not enough liquidity yet. I think the situation will change a little bit in the future because after hyper-Bitcoinization, to launder uh, with a simple coin swap and coin join, uh, a few billion dollars will not be impossible in my opinion. But we are talking about decades in the future. Right now, for big scale thieves, uh, Bitcoin is just not a good tool as proved by this point. Let's say just a minor correction or, 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 or a, a, minor, a minor objection. Uh, the Bitfinex hack, unlike the DAO lawyer, the Bitfinex hacker was not, as far as I know, not super advanced from the point of view of, of privacy. In, indeed, they actually, what they did was using part of the money into a KYC service that was basically Bitrefill, not really KYC, Bitrefill connected with their own name and, and credit card. And, uh, and they basically passed the other sum through Alpha Bay market that was owned by the feds. So I think that any other tool that they would have used instead of Bitcoin with that kind of security model would have, would have got them mm, anyway busted. So, but anyway. Yeah, so what you're saying is that it wasn't real uh, privacy. It's like when the socialists <laughs> tell us that. Like the communists, yeah. This was real, it wasn't it, real. Dark. It wasn't real Bitcoin. No, okay, I admit this is very weak. I just, <laughs> I, I, I just pointed it out. I admit I had this, uh, I, I've been, I had this in mind, you know, I've been waiting to use this in this podcast for, for weeks now. This wasn't real darkness. It wasn't real No, okay. This is what just an obnoxious, obnoxious uh, nerd uh, point. The real no, but, but no, no, no. It, it, I, I'll uh, more seriously. I think the counterpoint here is that okay, sure, they did make a mistake, but like, realistically, I mean, uh, when you think about the average Bitcoin user and when Bitcoin is going, I think Bitcoin is going to just continue to grow in adoption. More, you know, uh, look at all the alternatives. All the alternatives are getting destroyed by inflation. Um, value is going to leave. The, is going to be destroyed in the alternatives, and value is going to grow in Bitcoin. So more and more people are going to be in Bitcoin, and. I mean, sure, they made a mistake, but even after making their mistake, they're still in the top 0.0001% in terms of Agreed. Agreed. technical competence. You know, there are Agreed. people who don't know how to use a smartphone in the world that are going to have to use Bitcoin at some point. Absolutely. And there but are people the who second, know. Yeah. There's the second asymmetry. I think that people who doesn't know how to use the tools are more likely to be on the side of the victim than on the side of the attacker. The attacker yeah, is more this is likely very good point, to be yeah. sophisticated. So if you just have the same level of darkness, so the same probability of make uh, identifying mistakes is easier that the victim will make one and the attacker will just be uh, more cautious because for the simple reason that the victim is not expecting an attack while the attacker is expecting that he has to be careful with the money. So there are two asymmetries basically. Uh, darkness is, uh, is basically uh, very bad on Bitcoin for huge amounts and very good for small amounts. I think that it eventually stuff like we already see that with crypto lockers and with very small level uh, kidnappings or, uh, or home invasions. There is like Jameson Lop as a list of Bitcoin related physical attacks. It's not a giant list, but it's an important list. That stuff is happening. And in those cases, it's clear that the, the, that the attacker 
will just get away with it almost uh, almost certainly because there are small amount uh, enough sums that you can use uh, plenty of tools and you really need to do stupid mistakes and even if you do the amount of effort that it takes to uncover the mistake is uh, a targeted budget on you so if you are the bitphoenix hacker there is like a huge effort to find you if you are just the average uh, Russian, um, uh, basically bandit, uh, taking uh, a few hundred thousand dollars from a trader. There is no way that there is, uh, there is not, in Bitcoin, there is not an equivalent of the Erga Omnes uh, uh, censorship where you just reverse transaction and you just know everybody and everything in advance. You have to do ex post targeted uh, detective work which is possible but expensive. So I think that small kind of attackers, they will have a very uh, good time getting away with it. And it's important for the victim to protect using their own asymmetry. What is the asymmetry of the victim? The base, and this, I think it's true for Bitcoin, but I would argue it's probably true for many kind of money through history. In this case, you are the expert, so maybe you can, you can, uh, you can basically debunk this. But I have the feeling that uh, among the, the several features of uh, goods that selected for good money, there is also this fundamental asymmetry. So in the economy, we, have that, we basically have two kinds of, uh, of, of value acquisition. One are economical means, so we just exchange, and the other are political means. So I just come and just beat you up and take your money. For the second kind of interaction, you have two ways to defend yourself. One is just to be stronger than me. So you have to be bigger, to have more weapons, to have more men defending you. And in this case, we, are, we, are, we just have a very symmetrical fight because I come to take your stuff and you just want to defend your stuff. But if you can hide your stuff, if your form of money is so uh, portable and hideable that you can easily... Uh, that I cannot easily know that you have it or where it is, then you have basically an asymmetrical advantage as a defender against me as an attacker. In this case, even if I'm stronger, I don't know for certain how much you have, where do you have it, and, uh, and what it takes to, to uh, force you to give it to me. I don't know how many decoy wallets you have, how many plausible deniability devices. And I think that user in Bitcoin should basically take advantage of this huge asymmetry. For example, in Bitcoin, we, we just start with privacy at a very simple level, which is your private key. If you, yeah, this is the, I think this is the first level of darkness in Bitcoin. The first level is that you only know your private key. If you don't have this minimum level of darkness, the attacker will have a huge advantage over you because it just has to use your private key and they can just move the Bitcoin. The second level of darkness would be to detach as much as possible, it's not always possible, your public key from your physical identity in the very cypherpunk kind of mentality. You have as many online addresses as you can and you try to not leak your IP to not to leak your stuff. This is more difficult than defend your private key, but I think this is, the second, this is the second level of darkness. If this fails, so if I can uh, connect you with your public key, I can come to your home and convince you to give me your, your private key. The third level will be to just, uh, uh, to just delete or reduce the connection among your different public keys. 
because if that fails, then one single mistake, identifying mistake with one public key, I, it just expands and infects all the others, so I know all your, your stuff. But the user that used the darkness first has an advantage against the attacker, because the attacker cannot really know, even right now, if I go to the DAO lawyer, I cannot even know for sure, but I mean, when you just do one blockchain hope, just one, um, there is no mathematical certainty that the money has gone to somewhere. It could be just a burn address, you don't know. It could be just a, a coin swoop with the new teleport protocol by Chris Belcher. It could be a lightning channel, open it and not closed, all on, on your side, on the other person's side. So you can make heuristics, you can make uh, uh, probabilistic estimations. It, usually they, are, they work because people are still very dumb about Bitcoin darkness. But you cannot know for certain and especially for small amounts, for I'm quite sure that if I don't, this this will be my last famous words. But I'm quite sure that, of course, I don't have bitcoins. I, I I'm I'm I preach bitcoin. It's an intellectual bitcoin. interest. It's just intellectual interest, and my religion forbids me from having uh, bitcoins. When I need to pay fiat stuff, I just very luckily receive a donation or a job from uh, from a Bahamas company. So uh, this is my life. I'm poor. And occasionally I just trust Providence and, and money arrives. But I think that if I don't get any kind of uh, Edward Snowden level of, uh, of attention uh, at the present uh, level of technology and tools, I I'm feel very confident that it will be very hard to disprove this, uh, this sentence without uh, waterboarding me at Guantanamo for at least two days. I think I can resist two days before giving it away. Okay, um, I think uh, I'm, I'm obviously I agree with you on the importance of an individual taking their uh, privacy seriously, and I think obviously you benefit from it. Um, but I, I'm wondering whether you think that horse is out of the barn, um, even at small scale transactions, because of KYC. This is the question that I struggle with myself. Which is that, um, so yes, there are these attacks, but we don't, you know, so the newspaper will report about the attack that gets reported to the uh, police, but uh, I, I, I doubt we'd hear the follow-up of, you know, if the victim hired someone to go after the coins and try and figure out where the coins are and then figured out who the person was and then went after them. Um, that could, uh, or if it's going to be reported, it's going to be reported as just another crime. So I wonder how much, of the people who we think got away with it, um, didn't really get away with it because of these detection tools. Because I think uh, when, I, when I say the horse has left the barn, um, because the vast majority of coins are, are being held on regulated exchanges with KYC, if you have Bitcoin and you want to spend it, it's very hard to find a liquid market that's not KYC. In other words, you might be able to get get out of your coins without KYC to somebody who will buy them from you without KYC, without asking you for an identity and proof. But they are going to go and turn around and then use these same coins, most likely in something that is KYC, because they want to buy a house. So they want to sell the coins on an exchange to get the cash to the bank so that they can pay for the house. Or they want to um, use some uh, uh, Bitcoin service 
or they want to go on an exchange to a margin trade, whatever it is, the most likely purpose that they're going to be using their coins for is something KYC. They're going to take the coins and put them in somewhere where um, their identity can be linked. And then then you're counting on them in order for your, on them not being able to identify you. Well, how did you get in touch with them? So I think with time, as, um, as, KYC services proliferate and as coins links to KYC Bitcoin proliferate, maybe it becomes harder to hide even for smaller and smaller sums. You know, maybe some of these victims just think, I think perhaps we might be in a position right now where some of those criminals and the victims think that Bitcoin is much darker than it actually is. And um, the criminals are negligent and could get caught. And the victims are essentially negligent because if they would hire somebody who understands how to work things around, uh, how to look at the data, they might be able to uncover the person who uh, stole their coins. Um, because ultimately, I think really the point is the fact that because of the proliferation of KYC services, it just keeps getting harder with time to hide because it keeps getting harder to find uh, coins that can continue to circulate um, without touching KYC services. Because as soon as it touches KYC services, you could potentially at least uh, investigate with people. And I think here, you know, when you say when you say attack, obviously, you know, when Bitcoiners are thinking about attack scenarios, there are a lot of uh, dangerous uh, attack scenarios. But I think there is one uh extra level which is that um um uh, governments might start making it so that if you turn up at an exchange with uh coins that are linked to criminal activity initially then you are liable for that criminal activity that really changes things a lot you know then people are going to be extremely far more careful about where they get their coins from so therefore you know let's say you meet somebody to buy uh, uh, coins for cash and then you take the coins and you use them in something and then you get identified and they said hey where did you get those coins from well you better be able to provide kyc information on the person who gave you the coins or they're just going to assume that you are the person who uh, stole the coins you know it just takes uh, um, it just takes one um, government to implement something like this and you know obviously there can be legal challenges but look remember 2020 they locked the entire planet in home because uh, a bunch of postmenopausal uh, men got their knickers in a twist over a virus that scared them if they really start getting angry at uh, bitcoin and bitcoiners i think this is an entirely plausible angle of attack and in this case you know you're going to really really limit the ability of criminals to be able to get away with this activity. So maybe that would truly undermine the darkness uh, then even further. I think, in other words, what I'm trying to get at is, could we be getting to a point where the, um, you know, people can keep their privacy, particularly all-time Bitcoiners have managed to acquire Bitcoin um, KYC-free when it was low value and then the value goes up. You might be able to maintain the privacy of your coins get away with them but like for the vast majority of people um they're entering now when kyc is dominant and their um their ability to hide is 
I would say, I think, but ultimately, I think the point is your ability to hide for a victimless crime. This is the thing I say in the Bitcoin standard and I continue to stick for. You, it's easy, it's possible to hide with victimless crimes, which is essentially not criminal activity. There's no such thing as a victimless crime. But Bitcoin really is, and maybe it's like poetic justice that, or it is, you know, it's, it's digital justice in that you can commit victimless crimes on Bitcoin because there is no victim, so there's nobody to go and track your coins on chain and um, get uh, police to come and arrest you for it. But you can't get away with victimful crime, with actual crime, because there's a victim, because there's somebody going looking after the coins. You know, the coins were here, and now they're there. Where is that address? Let's go find the place where they. You know, if, if it is, if it has a victim, it's difficult for you to get away with it. But if it doesn't have a victim, then. Uh, as long as nobody cares, you know, I don't think we're going to reach a point where it's, Bitcoin is a complete panopticon in which every single transaction is linked to ident- an identity. But I think um, there is a, an increasing likelihood that even smaller crime is not going to fly. So nobody is going out and linking every transaction and find, you know, nobody's keeping a report on all of the Bitcoin that, um, an, an individual is sending and where they're sending it. But in case there's a stolen Bitcoin, then you can go and spend time and money and use specialized software and manage to track down uh, the, the the source of these criminal Bitcoin. I think perhaps that's the uh, th- that's where we're going. Do you think this is plausible? And of course, the second question, which we're going to get to, is the one to go back to your third point, whether this threatens the network on a security level. But putting aside whether it is a threat to the network, do you think this is plausible as a way in which Bitcoin uh, unfolds um, uh, over the coming few years? So I think it's, it's plausible only as a very, very... Uh, high-level approximation connected with uh, two things that are the stolen amount uh, and so uh, not really victimless versus uh, victimful but uh, small versus huge transfer so if it's a, even if it's a victimful crime but it's very small you probably get away with it if it's very huge even if it's victimless for example you get uh, your money and you just don't pay uh, protection money to the government. This is victimless because it's your money, not their money. But if it's, if it's 4 billion of taxes, probably even if it's victimless, you will not get away easily with it. So I think it's more related to the amount that to the, that to the level of uh, victimless uh, slash victimful. The, the point that you make about this uh, distinction actually makes some sense. If, not, if there is not a committed party it, like in, on Bitcoin, the de-anonymization effort must be active, not just passive. It is ex post an individual. It is not ex ante and ergo omnes. So you have to, after the fact, follow the guys and try to intercept and try to do detective work. This basically already funnel. Uh, the, 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 the episodes of the anonymization, uh, they, they just basically filter out all the crimes or, or crimes where nobody cares. Because if nobody cares, nobody will do uh, any kind of expensive investigation job. And on Bitcoin, you need at least that in order to anonymize people because it's not a panopticon 
as, as fiat is. So I think that the interesting point of your question, because it, it does intersect with my third point, which is what will happen to Bitcoin if darkness was gone completely or almost completely, and, and what governments will globally do to Bitcoin. So the, uh, we start to see the intersection with my, my, my third point here. So to get back to the second for, for, for a minute, for a second, for my experience, when I did assist my clients, and it, it happened not for, uh, for uh, kidnappings or, or assault, it mostly, mostly happened for scams. Uh, people have been scammed in uh, mining schemes uh, or in exchange with, uh, with fiat money. I had a client that actually was scammed 1.8 million euros with uh, a bit of cash Bitcoin purchase. And we never found anything. And the guys immediately conjoined. Uh, the sum was not high enough to leave traces like in Wasabi for the, for the possible DAO lawyer. These, uh, these were sums that were easier to hide and they are gone completely. So right now, this is not the case. Your scenario is not, is not really the present. May it be the future? Uh, I, think, I think not for, for a simple reason. I think that the, the trend we are seeing goes in the other direction. So basically, the first, the first direction that I see is that KYC services are not stable. They are becoming more and more restrictive. I think it's, uh, it's irreally, unrealistic right now to assume that as long as you are not a thief, people will just let you uh, alone with your money. I think that increasingly, KYC services and filters and funnels and restriction will start to interwine with your vaccination status, with your political status, with uh, cancel culture, with uh, Russia, war, and, and whatever. So I think that there are evidence that uh, most of people today are buying KYC, are interacting with KYC. But I think that that's because we still live in some kind of honeymoon phase uh, that is going to is not, is not going to end at a certain point. It's uh, continuously, basically, um, uh, deteriorating day by day. Right now, it doesn't. Ju you just don't have to identify yourself. You have to identify yourself and to explain your purchases and your donation and everything. And if you are some, if you if you follow some political leader or you some wrong thing, you may be restricted in your use. And that kind of government action will have the obvious result to push more people into dark market money. So if you think of an example like United, United Soviet uh, Union, um, in that case, you had basically US dollars used every day in every market. Everybody was accepting US dollars, even if it was highly illegal to do that. And basically easy to be discovered, especially for huge amounts of dollars cash, because they are har harder to hide than Bitcoin, even if if they are easier to hide in, in person, trans, person to person transaction because you're physically proc, because there is physical proximity. But if you want to send them a distance or to hide them, it's harder with cash. And still now in Venezuela, there are very, very strict law against accepting US dollars. And that happens all the time. And if you go to Cuba with some dollars, it's strictly forbidden and it's very serious and still every kind of merchant will accept your dollars, maybe even at a premium. Of course, that's because it's harder money, and that's sure. But in Cuba, US dollars has to be dark money because they're strictly illegal, and people just don't care. So I think that the KYC, breeding, uh, KYC increasing and, uh, and, and closing onto more rules, more restriction, more uh, limited use cases, uh, more arbitrary rules, uh, 
ever-changing rules, like the rules are changing all the time, this on one side is, will push gradually people that now stay on KYC because they have nothing to lose to move away from KYC because now they will have something to lose. Basically, at, at the end, at equilibrium, I imagine what you can do with KYC Bitcoin is being basically indifferent from what you can do with fiat. And one could say, except for saving inflation free, but we will get to that point eventually. On the other hand, you have another phenomenon, which is the fact that every coin can easily be made dirty in this sense on the blockchain. So for example, assuming, assume that you are an exchange and you want, to, you want to block my account if after my withdrawal, I do coin join in a very obvious way. I can do coin join in a hidden way, but let's, let's assume I do a very obvious way. What do you do? You block my account. Okay, now I do that after one hope on chain. So I send Bitcoin to myself with the fake change and now I coin join. It could be that I give the money, gave the money to somebody else. Do you still block my account? Okay. How many hopes do you follow me for? Because you can always do one more. Yeah, I can always do one more. If your answer is infinite, then it's just equal to ban Bitcoin. Basically, we can just, you're just banning Bitcoin, which is okay. It's just black market money. If your answer is six, I just do seven. Of course, it's expensive. Not as expensive as jail. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not as expensive as jail. Another example is... Uh, is for example, Mara, Mara Mining. They wanted to do the, uh, the, the block compliant with the financial task force. So they said, okay, this block, the Coinbase will be, uh, the, the transaction were only compliant. What I did with, no, I didn't because I don't have Bitcoin, but what my cousin did among some friends was to create a small campaign to send to the Coinbase addresses of Mara a lot of funds directly from CoinJoin. And those guys, of course, did spend these funds in the next, uh, in the next transaction without the distinguishes because they were not able. It's very easy for us to just take funds from CoinJoin and taint or actually liberate from the KYC assumption all the big addresses in the world. So does that protect Bitcoin from the government? No, it doesn't. I think that it does take away the distinction, the two-tier Bitcoin. I think that the, the white Bitcoin is going to go closer, to, to be closer and closer to just fiat. You will be allowed to do with that only what you do with fiat. And, and then we have to tackle the point about saving and inflation. And with the other Bitcoin, the black one, you will just, that, that will be just a overexpanded network of taint that it will just send everywhere. Especially with new technologies like Lightning on Taproot, you cannot know if your transaction is one transaction or if it's just opening a channel that will route for now hundreds of dollars, but maybe in, in, a few, in a few years, thousands of dollars uh, of worth of Bitcoin. So the technology is making every coin progressively more and more dirty, so to speak. I would actually like to, to, uh, to basically turn around this, this, this speech, I will say that the coin which is connected with your identity is dirty because it's dangerous, because it's, it's dirty with your unfungible identity information, while the coin which is not easily connectable is the clean coin. It's a clean, dark, black market coin. So I think that uh, I disagree with, with the trend you see uh, because uh, I think that both forces in play, government becoming stricter and pushing out people, and on the other side, technology making stuff more fungible, even if shitcoiners will, will like more, even more, but, but it, Bitcoin is doing realistic stuff on the fungibility issue, and it's, I think it's working pretty well. And it, it works well in theory, because, uh, because uh, 
every transaction could be a coin join right now. Uh, every transaction with more, more than one input and more than one output could be, for example, a pay join. And you cannot know from, from the outside. You can only guess based on common heuristics. So uh, long story short, I don't think your, scenario, your final scenario where we just, just the right amount of darkness uh, is going to play out. I think we, we, we have to collapse onto a zero darkness scenario, which I argue will mean the, the failure of Bitcoin, and, and then we can discuss that, and, and a, very, a pretty huge darkness scenario, not different from US dollar in Venezuela right now. I'm sorry, I don't get it. You're saying that the, the, the scenarios are either that it is dark, as in the dollar in Venezuela, or... Yeah, basically extreme, like binary extreme. I don't think we can stay in the... I don't think that the trend can, uh, is, is that that is keeping the stable equilibrium in the middle. I think it's, it is a very strange phase in which the government, don't, as a general concept, does, doesn't give any interest in Bitcoin at all. And, uh, and when it will, and, and now we will discuss why uh, it may, I think that uh, it, it will either restrict it so much that it will be become indistinguishable from fiat, and then the demand for something indistinguishable from fiat, I think, will be very low. And in the black market, the demand of something like Bitcoin, like pure Bitcoin, will be higher the more censorship you have. So if we lived in an age of decreasing censorship and confiscation and exclusion and cancellation, then I may think that you may be right. But like in the 90s, probably, uh, I, I, th I think that Bitcoin could have gone the same route of the internet. It burns very decentralized, but then nobody cares for decentralization because nobody's attacking it. And so it gradually centralizes in a big ISP, Google to manage your mail. And now we do have problems for that, but they are very long-term problems. In the 90s, we didn't see any problem with, with strong centralization of the internet because there were no attackers, because it was the end of the history, uh, that there is no war, there is, no, of course, it was not true, but that was the, the, the main philosophy in the US. So I think that right now we don't, have, we don't even have the delusion phase of the 90s. Where the, 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 the level of censorship and arbitrary censorship and, and limits is increasing. And so uh, I think that the users of KYC Bitcoin will very soon be so much restricted, they will have to uh, give up the certainty of uh, legality in order to use uh, an alternative to fiat because KYC Bitcoin will be basically fiat. This is a pretty coherent way of looking at it, but I'm, uh, and, and, and I generally tend to agree, but I still can't dismiss the alternative case, which I think is, um, um, you know, we as Bitcoiners are biased against it because we don't want it. But uh, I try and uh, question myself when um, when I find myself concluding that the thing that I want to happen is what is going to happen, um, <laughs> because that's a very easy way to make mistakes in life uh, to just imagine uh, that what you want is going to happen. And I think. Um, Realistically, I'll, I'll give you some counter arguments for the trends that I see that um, are pushing us in the other direction. Uh, realistically, I think uh, the amount of demand on Bitcoin, uh, the amount of demand for Bitcoin as a way of um, just 
uh, with KYC being able to own something that is not inflatable, that government can't make more of, that can't be inflated in supply very quickly and uh, continuously bleed value in the long term. The demand for that, I think, is, or regardless of whether it's KYC or not, I think just the demand for this is so enormous, is so huge, that I think it it, it is literally the biggest market in the planet. I, 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 I'm, I'm sure of it. I mean, that there is no other good that is held by as many people and is as valuable as money. Like the market for money is bigger than everything. There's about $100 trillion worth of money being held by people all over the world. There isn't anything else that's worth $100 trillion out there. So people hold $100 trillion of money because it's the biggest market, because they want to save for the future. So this, this, you know, this is what the Keynesians tell you is a completely sociopathic, meaningless idea that you want to hold money for the future. Um, they think that because their high time preference, uh, generally, you know, not entirely human uh, in, in their time preference, they are able to only think about the present. But, uh, you know, the, for members of the human species that have completed uh, the evolution from Keynesian ape forms to humanity, we think further ahead. We think of the future. We care about tomorrow, we care about next week. Some of us even care about next year. Some of us even care about the world 10 years from now. Some of us even care about the world that is going to be there for our children after we die. I know it sounds insane, but that's what most normal human beings who haven't been brainwashed by Keynesian garbage uh, think. So, um, this is enormous. This is this is a market of $100 trillion roughly in the world right now. Everybody wants to have money. Everybody needs to hold money for their future. And this is a market that is arguably um, massively underserved now because all the uh, competitors for it are extremely um, inconvenient in many ways, extremely problematic. So if you use government money, it's losing value over time. If you use gold, it loses value over space. If you want to move it anywhere, it's very expensive to move it around. If you use, uh, try and store commodities, you know, you end up gambling on copper and nickel and zinc and oil and all of those things, and you're just playing a shitcoin casino and you lose. If you buy government bonds, you're also getting robbed by, um, you know, you're, you're investing, you're taking on the risk of governments that are paying you a negative real return so that they can take your money and lock up their citizens and ban them from working. So <laughs> good luck with that one. And uh, these are basically the options for people who care about their future, for people who want to provide for their uh, future selves or their children 10, 20, 50, 100 years from now. And uh, th those really are your options. So Bitcoin, by offering us you know, a better long-term return than all of those things, more and more people are going to learn about this. The demand for this is so enormous. If we compare that demand in its magnitude to the demand for um, criminal transactions or illegal transactions or dark transactions, I don't think there's any comparison. It's maybe a million times larger. In other words, there's a million, there's a trillion, a hundred trillion dollar USD demand for um, holding money for doing illegal activity and hiding away from your government and uh, all of these other things, I think the demand is 
arguably well yeah but of course your your good point is and, and this is you know why i'm setting it up for your point to answer me is that as repression goes up the demand for criminal activity goes up but as it currently stands given that you know you can pretty much live um and spend money and um keep your bitcoin um in most of the world the demand for doing criminal activities is less than maybe a million fold of uh, the demand for holding money so maybe well not a million fold maybe a hundred fold so maybe there's a trillion dollars of demand for a hundred trillion so in a sense i i think um there is it's almost like uh, this is this is where um Think, think of the Panama Canal, you know, there was a time in which the Panama Canal, the area in the Panama Canal was probably a small, tiny little fishing village. And I'm sure there was a lot of people who really enjoyed uh, living there and they loved it and they had their families and they were dependent on this business. And it's great that that part of the world was a fishing village. But you know what, there are many, many, many other ways of having fishing villages in the world. And if you dig up a canal there, you will have a quarter of the world's trade pass through it, or I don't know what number, but a very large percentage of the world's trade is going to pass through this. And that's uh, going to be enormously, enormously more um, productive as a way of utilizing this. So could we perhaps be witnessing something similar happening with Bitcoin, wherein the need for something that is similar to saving, uh, for a saving technology, is just so enormous that it underwhelms the original purpose. And um, we we find that this idea of having anonymity on the internet goes by the wayside, just like paying for your coffee on the internet. I think this is, um, I, in other words, I'm not worried about uh, breaking Bitcoin's privacy because of um, um, government attacks in as much as it is because of just uh, the demand for it is submerged with demand for dark Bitcoin, for, for hard Bitcoin. In other words, um, the number of people that are buying Bitcoin in order to conduct, uh, in order to keep it anonymous ends up being a tiny running error compared to the number of people that are buying uh, Bitcoin just to escape inflation and buying it with regular KYC. And I think this is what we're seeing right now. You know, ultimately, um, you know, one Michael Saylor uh, probably holds more Bitcoin than all of the people that are using Bitcoin, uh, well, maybe not one Michael Saylor, but you know, there's, uh, there's a lot of demand being added every day, people buying through KYC exchanges, institutions picking up coins. So much of the coins are ending up in, um, in KYC services that um, I think we need to at least consider the possibility that this is just going to um, end up being the um, network, f and um, no, but I, I, I definitely see your point. It's 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 very difficult to make this a bitter disagreement because we just keep <laughs> seeing each other's point. But yeah, obviously, you know, the, the more desperate the inflation situation becomes, and the more prices rise, the more uh, Bitcoin uh, goes up, the more they're going to criminalize more uses of Bitcoin. And then, if you criminalize saving, then you've moved all of the demand for hard money into demand Precisely. for dark money.
Precisely. Now you you had your revenge in making in making my point <laughs> <laughs> first, <laughs> burning my ass. And, uh, it, it's, it's exactly what I, what I meant to say. Uh, your distinction is actually twofold. It's a matrix. It's it's a it's a four part matrix. There is a, a saving against transaction. I agree with you that the saving use cases, especially in the current state of the world, basically dwarfs uh, transactional use cases, which is what most privacy. Uh, proponents don't understand that they, they think that one guy uh, buying marijuana will matter to the economy just as uh, uh, one one millionaire saving money for for his uh, for his future. It's, it's not the case. Saving is a more impactful activity than just transacting. And I agree with that. But then you have uh, you are basically contrasting a legal saving, which is not criminal, against an illegal free transaction, which is in most cases criminal if you are a Russian or if you are a Canadian tracker or whatever. And I think that this, 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 basic, this diagonal of the metrics is not a guarantee and is not going to, be in the, to, to stay in that direction. And I think that the more Bitcoin does its job and the more especially fiat does its job, because even without Bitcoin, fiat will still collapse, uh, the more we will go to a similar uh, to a closer scenario to 1933, where actually saving in the United States of America and continental was illegal, and you risked the five to ten years of jail if you were saving gold. So you say. That, so first of all, let me let me go back a, a minute again. You say that you cannot use fiat because. Uh, uh, it, it basically loses value across time, and that's true, that's evident. You cannot use gold because it loses value across space every time you transact. But that's not true, for example, with the centralized e-gold. If you just use a centralized service, uh, which is just uh, backing up with gold with some uh, Luxembourg company doing audit, just like Tether, uh, but without commercial paper or stuff, just with gold, that works fine with uh, across space. The problem is that the government, even in the 90s, in, in the early 20s, uh, where the uh, early 2000s, where we, which were not as bad as now as a macroeconomic situation, they were putting eagle creator in jail for creating eagle as an alternative. So saving in gold in a more efficient way was illegal. And even with physical gold or paper gold, people ended up in jail in America in the 30s for just keeping saving money in, in gold in that case. So I think that the assumption that saving will always be legal and that transaction uh, will, uh, will always uh, be more illegal, I think it, it, it's going, it's very realistically going to be turned uh, turn around because right now the, the right now the impact on bit of bitcoin on government spending is objectively still very low like if you if you if you are a, a guy in the united states congress and you're deciding out that debt ceiling you know that you can monetize any kind of debt with money printing and what bitcoin offers as an alternative to cantillon tax is not really into the equation yet because it's, it's very very small so you can focus on, on Ross Ulbricht allowing people to just transact with marijuana or books uh, because like the, the most sold item on the Silk Road were, were actually books, mostly Bibles in the Middle East or books in order to make explosives, but still books. And uh, so you focus on that. If you are China, you may focus on capital flight because that's your revenue uh, erosion source. But when actual money start to move not just sailor, but, but in a more macroscopic way, 
when 50% of Tesla and not 5% of the treasury goes there, where all this money start to flee from the inflating dollar and going into Bitcoin, I think the kind of incentive you have of just stopping pursuing the marijuana, because you're right, that saving is more important than buying drugs. I think that government will, will increasingly stop uh, focusing on people buying drugs and they will start to focus on a, the, the, of, of some uh, competition to the US dollar that if successful may cut the, go the federal government budget back to 1914 levels maybe. Uh, so uh, the, the, the scenario in which saving is perfectly legal and, and buying drugs isn't, I think it's a very unstable scenario. And that's why even for the saving use case, I think that uh, Bitcoin darkness is paramount. Not, at this point, not just at a personal level, like in the second point, but at this point as a, as a systemic level. Why? Because if, uh, as you said, Bitcoin is all basically captured in an identity uh, compliance uh, scheme where people are scared to go to jail if they're, if they're not, or to lose their money to get frozen accounts if they don't comply, then you can just add a new compliance rule, which is you don't just have this blacklist of addresses you cannot send to or receive from, or whitelist of addresses you are allowed to receive from or send to. Now you also have this tax address you have to send to compensate the appreciation of Bitcoin against dollar because use evil speculators are causing dollar depreciation and, and, and you're causing inflation. It's not putting anymore, it's not gas stations anymore. Now it's Bitcoiners causing inflation and the president says so. So now you, you, the, the, same, the same panopticon or partial panopticon that was making people too scared to transact following just a protocol. So this is a transaction, it's a valid transaction, I accept it. I don't have to connect with an external party oracle telling me this is an allowed transaction. This is just a Bitcoin transaction. If, uh, if most of the Bitcoin economy cannot uh, just uh, ignore external oracles to transact, I think they will not have the force to ignore even something like uh, you are forced to run a new protocol that creates, uh, that, that inflates just at the same level of the Fed. So Fed adjusted inflation in Bitcoin or easier to implement a, a tax a tax output which compensates for the lack of inflation uh, in, in Bitcoin. So uh, I don't think that will be the death of Bitcoin if that happens. I think that Bitcoin is flexible enough that it can go in a very, very bad direction like that and then only recover when it's needed. But I think that uh, we can see right now what, what was the cost of the internet centralization that I was talking about before. With uh, people building the internet infrastructure did assume perfect uh, good faith uh, by, the, by the actors and by the government and best case scenarios. And now that we are in, 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 in bad case scenario, uh, the internet is still working, but very fragile. It's, it's very easy to censor in China. It's very, it, it may split off in two nets if there is a global war. Uh, it's, it's very easy to censor the internet. Uh, so my point in this case would be, well, I think I, I, I made the point pretty, pretty clearly. Yeah. Saving may become illegal. Just one thing that I, I wanted to add about the, uh, just because I want something to be so, it doesn't mean it will be so. I think that there may be, a, a very, this is a very strange argument, but what I feel if I just reflect on myself about intellectual honesty in the face of these eventualities, I think that there is some kind of Pascalian wager uh, situation here. It's like, 
I, I know that this scenario of Bitcoin darkness is not guaranteed, but I'm so convinced that it's necessary for Bitcoin to be irrelevant that I just dismiss the other scenario, not as impossible, but as irrelevant. So I don't, I don't really want to live in a world where I have to ask for permission to save and transact. So if that's the case, I accept the case, but that means Bitcoin has failed. And so I just don't want to consider it. You know that the Pascal wager, right? That, that was yeah. what got. Uh, but, but it's the same. The, 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 in, the, in the decision metrics, the, the, the scenario where I lose is so bad that it doesn't even make any sense to be right in that scenario. It's just useless because it's not actionable. The only actionable scenario is the one in which I'm right and I can do something about it. That uh, famed uh, maximalist open-mindedness again. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, I mean, obviously we agree about a lot here, but here's, here's if I were to um, offer my disagreement, it would be, um, first of all, yeah, you're saying that they will crack down and make saving uh, illegal. I don't think that that's a necessary thing that can happen. I think there are a lot of scenarios where this does not happen. So that's one disagreement. You're confident in the fact that the crackdown will come in a very uh, specific way. I think there are many other ways in which they can uh, attack and crack down. And I think there are scenarios in which they decide to ride uh, the Bitcoin wave and benefit from it rather than attack it. So these are worth considering. And then the second one, uh, the second disagreement, I think, is... Um, I think this is really perhaps the, 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 the crux of the point is that now, even if they do clamp down, I think we both agree that Bitcoin will survive. Well, I don't know, actually, you were so, sort of saying, suggesting that it won't survive. But I think even if they do crack down completely, for me, this is, this is the difference. I think it's not, it's not that I don't want the privacy. It's not that I don't think that the privacy is not important. It's that I think even if we have the privacy completely removed, even if we end up in a world in which, um, and, and, you know, whether through government imposition or whether through just the dynamics of the network, we end up in a world in which every single Bitcoin address is KYC'd. I still think, and I'm not saying I want that, but I still think if we do have that, I still think Bitcoin's 21 million cap survives and people will save in Bitcoin legally and publicly, and everybody's uh, on-chain transactions will be uh, public, but that will not compromise the 21 million cap. This is, I think, the, the key disagreement between us is that you present this idea that if, they if we uncover the identities of the users, if Bitcoin is not dark, then, we may, then uh, it's a trivial step from there to go to 21 million. And I'm trying to present the proposition that, no, in fact, we could end up with a completely public ledger where you know if we replace uh we replace ad public addresses with uh names or, or we link public addresses to names and still manage to maintain the 21 million i think this is this is my contention because i think um um ultimately you know you, you can identify people and link identities to addresses and keep track on addresses you do all of that outside the Bitcoin node, outside the Bitcoin protocol, outside the Bitcoin software. So you government will keep track of every address and will, um, you know, it, they could do that. We, we could have a true North Korean dystopia in tracking down every single individual Bitcoin address. And I think it's, I mean, obviously it's difficult, um, but it's, uh, 
it's even if they are it's extremely difficult and uh, they won't be able to pull it off most likely but even assuming that they do pull off pull it off it's completely um, irrelevant and it doesn't help them in changing the 21 million cap all that you can do to change the 21 million cap is make a new uh, shitcoin, which is going to be like Bcash, and you basically make an airdrop for Bitcoiners who maintain the old Bitcoin, and the Bitcoiners who go along with the new Bitcoin end up like uh, Roger Ver's Bcash and BSV, and it's just that instead of having uh, Ver, they'll actually have central banks and governments going along with that. But I don't see how compromising Bitcoin's privacy and making Bitcoin not dark, even if it were possible, putting that aside. Uh, I don't see how it threatens the network. That's, I think, uh, the, the issue. Let me know why. What, what your case is for why um, removing the anonymity can change the uh, 21 million fixed gap. Okay, these are very subtle points. I will try to be straightforward. I hope not to just get, get stuck into some uh, circle. So first thing is that uh, in order to do that, uh, in order to know everybody, to spy on everybody, to track everybody, uh, what we are basically assuming as a tool by the government is the KYC enforcement. So it's like uh, we, we use that as an assumption or maybe not a necessary assumption, but instead of, I mean, if, you're, you, if your case, if your scenario is a magical government that can just be uh, omnipresent and watch uh, uh, watch on our shoulder when we just type the password and so they even know the private keys because they're spying on everybody and they just don't touch anything there no they like don't the, know the private keys but they know whose addresses uh, who well that's I mean if they do if they know that purely by observation force because they are omniscient somehow but they don't force you to do anything in I think that's very very difficult I think that they, that's not, they, the way we were approaching that as a, as a scenario, which was more realistic, is that people will self-identify because if they don't, they will be prevented from spending Bitcoin to buy a home. So they need some censorship to force you. It's not a neutral kind of observation. And if they, if they censor you to, uh, in order to, to force you to do something, that's already some kind of thing that can be applied to the 21 million cap directly or indirectly. For example, if you don't run the new shitcoin with inflation embedded. Of course, I will not call it inflation embedded. I will call it in a different way. Maybe again, I optimized. can optimize for something. <laughs> or I, I can, and since the cantaloupe tax is just a tax, you can really replicate the same behavior if you tax. Uh, some people in a different way, or if that's fine. And I think you can. You know, we let's assume for this argument that they do impose a level of taxation, so it becomes completely public, and you have to pay taxes on your bitcoins, and it becomes very transparent. And let's say you know Perfect. they even make it the smart contract where the government gets a small transaction uh, fee. So my point is that there is an economic way. Uh, that uh, replicates almost as as close. It can get as close as you want to cantaloupe taxes by by taxation. If you don't inflate the supply, but you can redistribute the the same nominal amount from the last spender to the first spender, you can replicate cantaloupe phenomenon even without printing. You just need to adjust taxes uh, accordingly. Of course, 
the, the reason that governments managed to become so rich with fiat money and printing is that it's a more hidden kind of tax. It's a tax that you, you don't really see. But if you can replicate that with a smart contract taxation, smart contract taxation can become indistinguishable from money printing. You just have to, the, the global effect is just take money from the last receiver and you move it to the first receiver. And maybe uh, there are other side, side effects of inflation, like you, you take money from the creditor and you give it to the debtor. You take money from the uh, importer and you give it to the exporter. And, and, and then you, you increase the general level of taxation for fiscal drag because you have the threshold that is now lower. So all these things can be replicated. And my point is that if Bitcoin is a, a, a lifeboat against fiat hyperinflation, uh, then the government will try to stop people from using the lifeboat because these are basically taxation victims that are escaping from your taxation lager. And, and if, if I'm the capo of the lager, I don't like prisoners to escape. And if you are escaping with a bot, which is Bitcoin, I, if I can enforce any behavior, if I'm so powerful to enforce address blacklist or, or, or whitelists or even taxations, I can replicate the same economical behavior than I would have with a sim simpler act of money printing. Of course, I can even just say that if you don't use the new optimized uh, Bitcoin, um, uh, Bitcoin Biden, uh, you cannot, uh, you are responsible for inflation, so you cannot buy a house with your old Bitcoin. That doesn't mean that you kill Bitcoin, of course, but it does mean that we are back to the black market scenario again, where the, where the people that kept the uninflatable, unprintable Bitcoin need to go around sanctions and, uh, and white market uh, limitation anyway. And so they go back in the dollar in Venezuela situation anyway. And so let's just go there directly instead of finding out first. Yeah, um, I'm still not entirely convinced because I think, um, um, I mean, first of all, like if, if you do implement some form of taxation, you know, obviously I believe taxation is theft. Well, more tech, more accurately, it's extortion. It's not exactly theft. Um, and I don't think it's morally justified in any case. Um, uh, taxes should be voluntary, which means they're just basically payments for services, which makes them private goods, you know, just pay for the things that you want. So I definitely don't believe in the legitimacy of taxes. And, uh, but I, um, but I think it is conceivable, if we assume for the sake of this argument, that we could end up with a world with full surveillance and taxes. But still, as long as you're not doing the inflation, as you know, if we manage to move into a world of full surveillance, financial panoptical surveillance with uh, a fixed supply money and taxation. I still think this is, you know, just simply doing that uh, software upgrade on the back end of a modern society is going to make a far larger difference than any technology, maybe since the printing press or the steam engine or something like that. Like just simply um, taking away, simply taking away the inflation, first of all, gets rid of all of the business cycle distortions. It gets rid of the ability of government to, um, finance all of this insane spending it gets rid of the fact that government spending becomes uh, unaccountable so really the real battle i think here is you know while obviously i 
truly think you know taxes are bad and privacy is good and we need to get rid of all of those things i think and and i and i know you agree with me like as you said you know the the the, the battle for getting uh, getting rid of inflationary money in fiat central banks makes everything else irrelevant in my mind. So I completely sympathize with people who want to buy um, drugs online and not get thrown in a cage by their criminal government. Um, but, you know, um, you could also quit drugs or you could just buy drugs off the street like a normal human being. And uh, um, like, I'm not interested in Bitcoin if it's uh, drug buying technology. Like that's, <laughs> I don't wake up in the morning yeah, and think, yeah, again, again. how do we, no, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. Of course, of course, we, you're saying that it's important for it to be available for the drug dealer. Because if they can get the drug dealer, then you can get Ivermectin can... if, you, if you're sick. Yeah, and not just ivermectin. I think the, the, really even ivermectin, meat, as much as I care meat. about it, or red meat, as much as I care about ivermectin and red meat, you know, maybe Bitcoin will help me secure those things one day when I really need them. Still, though, that's not as important as the use case, whether uh, which is the real one, which is killing central banks. <laughs> like that's 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 the jackpot. That's the Prize. That's the thing that we want to rid of. We want to destroy the idea of bond markets. We want to destroy central banks and get turn this thing that is government. You know whether we whether we completely get rid of government or we end up with maybe we do, maybe we don't. But the important thing is, if we do end up with a government, it's going to have to function without inflation. For me, with all due respect to all of the people that um, um, emphasize the importance of Bitcoin's. Um, you know, uh, usability for extra legal um, uses. And I definitely sympathize with those things. I still think getting rid of central banks is a million times bigger of an objective. And I think the um, perhaps, maybe, tell me what you think about this, Perhaps focusing too much on being um, usable by the drug dealers is um, not the not not the thing that is going to make the difference. In fact, may it's not. Perhaps I think actually this is the way. The way to make Bitcoin resistant to attack is not to make it so that drug dealers and kidnappers can get away with it. The way to make Bitcoin resistant to attack is to have. Michael Saylor and Paris Hilton and Tom Brady and all of the world's normal uh, superstars start buying Bitcoin, talking about it normally and having more and more people publicly saying that I own Bitcoin and I, you know, you don't need to hack my, uh, you don't need to hack the ledger account to know that I bought this hardware wallet because I like it and I uh, talk about it online. And so the fact, maybe that is the better um security uh, guarantee for Bitcoin, which is not that, well, even if the government cracked down on us, they can't get us because they can't get the drug dealer and uh, it's this good. Maybe it's just that, well, when you have senators and congressmen who are open to the idea and uh, liking it, when you have more and more presidents around the world and prime ministers and celebrities and, and athletes and rock stars, when they get into it and it becomes their livelihood, this is really the key thing. Like the, the the once people in positions of power become invested in Bitcoin because they see how it is essential for their future. Once they get to experience the the transformative power of uh, Bitcoin's orange pill, that 
is maybe the reason why we don't get that kind of attack. You know, maybe the prison keepers realize that um, this is our chance to escape from being prison keepers as well. You know, <laughs> I think that the, the value proposition here that I presented, um, you know, if I were, if I happen to own um, uh, your average uh, fiat uh, republic, um, you know, whether I'm president or central bank or banker or one of the, you know, small elite of fiat continuing privileged uh, people who are in essentially owning each one of these fiat farms. Ultimately, what I'd like to tell those people is, I know you, you know, you probably, it's a family business that you control your little country like a farm over generations and you've been running the central bank and milking the entire country. But Holding Bitcoin is a far more profitable and better scenario than slavery. I'm not appealing to your morality and I'm not telling you to do this because of, you know, stop enslaving your local population and turning them into um, a starving uh, serfs because it's not nice. I'm telling you it's more profitable for you <laughs> to leave them alone and for you to hold Bitcoin. Instead of using your central bank as a mechanism for enslaving your population and enriching you, having a hard money like Bitcoin is more profitable. So I think in a sense, like you could spend a lot of money on trying to, uh, <laughs> I think really this is the problem with repressing Bitcoin. Once you understand Bitcoin, the cost of suppressing Bitcoin will always be measured in Satoshi's foregone for you. Like why go and attack Bitcoin and try and destroy Bitcoin? And then if you fail, think about all of the money that you spent on attacking Bitcoin. You could have bought Satoshi's with it and now you'd basically get more than you could ever do. Like at any point in time, once you understand how Bitcoin works, the rational strategy to understand is to start stacking stats. And I think we're, I personally have been massively surprised by this. And I guess me arriving at these kind of crazy conclusions that I'm saying right now, you know, what if they don't attack? And what if indeed it, uh, what if, you know, I'm, I'm, what if the, the drug dealers can't get away with it? And the reason they're getting away with it is that their victims, or not the drug dealers, like the kidnappers, is that their victims are not looking. I think the way that I've arrived at it is because historically, I, I, I used to believe the exact opposite. You know, initially, when I first heard about Bitcoin, I did not even, first of all, I didn't even hear about this thing called exchanges. And when I heard about exchanges selling Bitcoin, I thought, that's crazy. You know, why would uh, you want to get them? Clearly, when the government finds out what we're doing, they're going to come after you. And so, you know, I bought a lot less Bitcoin than I would have. I, for me, Bitcoin was like this, you know, um, small little thing, interesting project that the government is going to come after and throw people in jail for. So I was buying, you know, small little sums because I did not believe that one day, we could just smoothly end up with a world in which, you know, you have all these billion dollar exchanges listed on stock markets and um, Tesla and MicroStrategy are stacking sats. But that's what has happened. And maybe this continues. Maybe this continues in this direction wherein the, um, and I think perhaps the, the, I th <laughs> the compromise, like the synthesis that we could arrive at here is that instead of attacking in all the ways that you would imagine that they would attack, maybe they're just going to attack by confiscating coins that are on exchanges. And I think that's a solution that pleases everybody, basically, and nobody can complain about it. Uh, like if you're a Bitcoiner and you keep your money on exchanges, you can't really complain if your government comes and takes it, I think. Um, and I think 
this is highly likely at some point there is going to be a point maybe it might happen even this year you know one day the central bank of some dysfunctional fiat uh, republic is going to wake up and realize you know our entire banking system has x foreign reserves in it our central bank and all of our banks have x dollars in foreign reserves in it and our crypto exchanges have 3x dollars in reserve in digital currencies which we can also send internationally and um you know i think uh, it's very straightforward in a, in, in a country you know the, the the government just needs to call the exchanges and tell them it's a matter of national security you need to suspend all redemption and withdrawal we need to investigate because of a threat of something yeah, or the other, you know, right there, yeah. terrorism or a virus is going through your bank account and we need to stop. <laughs> we need to put masks on your money or whatever. You know, you, fiat science is always ready with the stories <laughs> or cow farts or something. So we need to stop it. And then uh, we did an investigation and we found that uh, uh, the Bitcoin there um, has uh, magically transformed itself into helping our economy recover by moving to, you know, we see we're going to set it on the international markets and buy um, dollars to settle our debt so that we can get oil so that we can keep people warm in the winter. And then it's going to be presented as, should we let crypto speculators keep their uh, gambling or should we get oil for the children? And the answer is going to be, we get oil for the children. So I think these kinds of attacks where governments take Bitcoin and steal it are likely um, because, you know, Bitcoin is just there. It's just much easier to use it and play along with it and benefit from it and take other people's Bitcoin and use them um, than it is to try and fight all of Bitcoin, particularly if you're broke. And we are entering a world of universally broke governments. They're all broke and they're, they're in no position to sit. I think this is really the key point. If I were to argue for why they won't attack, it's a, an argument from time preference. Bitcoiners, you know, once you've upgraded to uh, advanced money that allows you to hold value into the future, you think long term. And so you are able to think of what actions you should do today in favor of the long term. But if you're running on a fiat standard and all of us were running on a fiat operating system before Bitcoin and all of us had a much higher time preference and we had a much lower ability to think of the future. Now, think about what it takes, you know, what kind of time preference is required to not just run on fiat, but to actually be, you know, the operating, the people managing the operating system of fiat, being in government. Nobody in government can think about anything other than, you know, their next election cycle. So it's it's designed, particular democratic government is designed to be um, short-termist. So there isn't anybody in a position of authority in your modern democratic republic who is genuinely thinking and acting from a position of, how is this going to affect my country 50 years from now? Yeah. Absolutely nothing. Anybody who tries to run on a platform of what's going to happen to the world in 50 years, you will not get elected. People want their uh, pink uh, unicorns today. People, they want hospitals built today. They want the money of the rich people confiscated today. They want <laughs> stupid ideas today. You can't just promise them things in the future. And so government selects for high time preference. Government selects for people who think in the short term. And it doesn't select for people who are capable of understanding the big transformative long-term impact of moving from a credit-based financial system to a a hard equity-based financial system. That's, at any point in time, you're dealing with people that are playing 
checkers basically while you're playing chess you know so you know the famous metaphor that you're thinking six ten fifteen twenty steps ahead and they're thinking just the next step or two so the next step of do or two is always going to be yeah let's not uh you know try and fight this enormous network of billions of people all over the world and waste our money on um doing something everybody is uh telling us is going to be doomed let's just take some money let's confiscate money from these exchanges let's tax them i think this is the next one what, what, what the next level is you know perhaps before the big confiscation is when they start realizing hey if we can tax those things then you know we start uh, helping our fiscal position and then they start wanting and becoming financially invested in this you know once you have a tax jurisdiction that is getting significant amounts of tax revenue from bitcoin holders then they become invested in Bitcoin. So um, if we throw all of these, and again, I guess this is my counter argument in that if we throw all of these scenarios, I'm not saying they're all correct, but for many, for all of those reasons and many others, we may not end up increasing the demand for dark markets by so much. In other words, all of the conclusion from all of those things is that the demand for saving is going to continue to be uh, 1000x demand for uh, illegal activity because we're not going to head toward the world in which saving itself is going to be criminalized so if that were the case putting aside what we want and putting aside the um if that were the case then i think we could we could indeed see uh, anonymity disappear not through government imposition or government uh, restrictions just because the demand for anonymity is very tiny and then it well maybe it survives on a small uh, scale but it continues to get harder and harder to be personally anonymous but the network continues to work as a global settlement layer and i think really um, perhaps the other scenario is you know with second layer solutions is we get privacy on second layers but you don't get privacy on the base layer and the base layer ends up being I think this is this this is a distinct possibility, which is um, that it's the first layer just ends up being a place for settlement between people who run lightning nodes. Lightning nodes will be the equivalent of banks, and instead of living in a world with one central bank, which is what we have today, the U.S. Federal Reserve and its branches, we would have a world with ten thousand central banks. Um, all of them are sovereign nodes on the network, or maybe a hundred thousand uh, central bank none of them can change the money supply um, all of them are sovereign nodes on the network all of them have public uh, records like think about it imagine if you if your central bank was not a criminal organization i know it's a very difficult thought experiment but bear with me if your central bank was not out there uh, built to rob your population and if it was just out there to actually care for uh, to actually do its supposed job wouldn't you want your central bank to publish every single transaction that it conducts I mean, why why shouldn't they? If they're public central banks, you know, they should have on their website every single thing, every single dollar going in and out because this is a public institution. It's the public who should know. And I think um, in a free market for central banking, we'd have a world built around Lightning Network where each Lightning node settles with all the other Lightning nodes and they have all their channels open with one another. And then individuals can use those Lightning uh Individuals can use their Lightning account. And then, you know, if you want privacy, you use the ones that uh, prioritize your privacy and give it to you. If you don't care about privacy, if, for instance, and I can imagine that in a, in a free market, there will be demand for 
people who don't want to be involved in things that uh, have privacy. In other words, for instance, um, you can imagine Muslims would say that I don't want to deal with a bank that deals with alcohol. And so therefore, um, they require everybody to be, uh, they, they identify everybody's transactions. And if anybody deals with alcohol, then they cancel their account. You can imagine these sort of things happening. So you will get a free market spectrum of privacy develop where if you'd rather nobody find out anything about what you use, you use the bank that doesn't care about, uh, that, that hides all of your information. And then you can't complain if anybody else in your bank is using, um, is you know doing something you don't approve of so i think we we could get this kind of spectrum and um i think privacy on the second layer is a a, a far more achievable uh, technical thing than on the first layer what do you think so uh, getting back to the start of your point it's paradoxical that i completely disagree with your main point which is it's it's likely or possible or or, or very realistic they will not attack because I completely agree with everything else you said. So from the very same assumption, we go to very different conclusion. So your first assumption, which I agree with completely, is that saving is not only more important as volumes than just transacting, but it's more, also more strategical as a point to attack the nation state uh, fiat status quo. So we don't have to attack first uh, uh, drug censorship. We have to aim for money printing, which is the real core of the fiat power. So if we attack that, we win. If we just care for a Keynesian privacy shitcoin, we lose. Since I agree with that, I don't think that governments will not, uh, will not react accordingly. So if, uh, if uh, buying drugs or, uh, or exporting capital from China are not as damaging or, or paying stuff into Iran are not as damaging uh, to the nation state, as uh, f- stopping the money printer, and I agree with you that it's not, then I think that the government, even if it if selects for uh, uh, high-time preference individuals, it does also select for people very focused on stealing money. And I think it, will be, it, has, been, it, it has been very uh, clear in the past, uh, again, with Franklin Delano Roosevelt example, and, and even in, in more recent times, that they have to protect the, the money printer. I think that government officials, as you said, will understand Bitcoin. Many of them will be orange-peeled individually. They will start to get Bitcoin, saving Bitcoin, transacting Bitcoin. They will love Bitcoin, just as I think that Maduro and Kim Jong-un, they do love Bitcoin already because they know that if they have to run, they cannot use bank accounts and they can use Bitcoin. So I, I, I really think that both Maduro and Kim Jong-un know how to manage Bitcoin already right now. The, the same will go for Nancy Pelosi or other lower level uh, tyrants. But uh, uh, even if they will understand it, the, the high pre- item preference thing to do in that case is precisely not to think about your institution taking advantage of Bitcoin for the long term, but just grab, uh, use, the, the, use the tool for yourself and try to steal the money of other people as fast as you can immediately without thinking about the uh, second or, or third order exactly. consequences. So for this reason, well, I think- Well, but exactly, to- but, but, but the, what you said here relies on Bitcoin continuing to operate. So like the best, most rational strategy, if you're going to attack it, and uh, that's 
true if you're being high time preference or low time preference if you're being high time preference you go steal as much bitcoin as you can but you know what's the point of stealing all that bitcoin if then uh, the bitcoin network stops working so it's a problem for the people that you steal from you know the victims of your uh, 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 local government but it's uh, for you know tiktok next block <laughs> bitcoin yeah, just yeah. continues to operate I agree with you that confiscation, like when the United States wanted to fight gold as an inflation edge, uh, it, gold, gold was working as an inflation edge, so they had to confiscate it. They didn't try to destroy gold. They did try to confiscate gold. So I agree with you that will be, and I agree with you that low-hanging fruits will not be private individuals with their private keys. The low-hanging fruits will be just third-party custodians because it's just easier. If you think about uh, um, about uh, the, uh, the 7102 uh, Executive Act, Roosevelt did immediately confiscate all the custodians of gold, and then it came after private individual, but only in very symbolic ways. Like there, were, there was this very rich Jew entrepreneur in New York, and they, they targeted him physically for the physical gold. It was a, the, the physical attack is very expensive, so it was a bit spot in a very a spectacular way, but the, the low-hanging fruit would be Bitcoins on exchanges. And I completely agree with that. But I think that, like what you say, they will tax and then they will confiscate. Is not they are not going to attack. It's that they will attack. It's just that they will attack first people that are, uh, they, they will not attack directly people which are just managing their keys. Uh, that that's a very I think that's a very desperate late stage move that I think may come as well. It may not come because the government will get will go broke completely and not able to pay for the enforcement before it came to the stage. So I absolutely agree with you that we may have a, a, a scenario in which the government cannot pay for 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 cops. Uh, torturing for your private keys anymore. And, and that's very, I hope that happens. Uh, that's the key thing. Yeah, this is ultimately, yeah. I mean, if you look at in the 1930s, yes, they did. When they say confiscating gold, like, the, 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 sure, there's, I, you mentioned this example of the gold trade that I hadn't heard of this one before. I'm sure there were a few examples, high profile here and there. But there was no, uh, you know, it, it, the U.S. didn't turn into uh, a gulag where you had jackbooted thugs rushing door to door, searching everybody's home, making sure they don't have any gold. We did not have that happen uh, home to home because, you know, that's a politically very uh, unpopular and uh, expensive yeah. and Especially also financial. Amendment. Yeah, especially the Second Amendment, but also, um, you know, politically and also financially very expensive. But also, also, it's not very necessary in the case of gold because the vast majority of gold was already concentrated right. in banks and, and in central banks. At this point, I would get back to your point about Bitcoin is more being more saleable across space than gold. Exactly. So when gold was being confiscated, people had not uh, uh, they don't they didn't have any chance. So the government succeeded into confiscating basically all the gold. With Bitcoin, mm -hmm. since it's easier to, 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 to take away in time, I think that there is more possibility that they will have to go after individuals, even if it's more expensive, or at least high-profile individuals, or at least uh, some uh, very low-level legal pressure, just like, you know, vaccination status. It's not like I will really come to your home, but I will show you in the, in the TV news that I do. Uh, with three, four families, so you will be so scared that you will give up your 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 Bitcoin willingly. 
Perhaps, but then again, you know, gold and uh, Bitcoin are very different in the fact that you can move Bitcoin around much faster. So if they do this, they again, it can get bad. They can confiscate it. They can take it. It can be very bad for you as a user. But again, you know, the only reason they're taking it is because they want the value that's in it. So they are they now become invested in the safety and uh, operation of the Bitcoin network. And in the maintenance of the 21 million cap and in the maintenance of the security and everything. So, um, I guess the, 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 you know, when we're saying about the differences of the attack, it's not just that politically things are different. It's also that the technology itself makes the angle of attack much more difficult, much more expensive. And I guess the, to go back to the point of the drug dealer versus the saver, I think this is, you know, there's the, the, there's the security model again of if it's good enough for the drug dealer and the extortionist, then it's good enough for us to resist the government. Yeah. I can't shake away the fact that perhaps we're thinking about this wrong. Yes, that is one model, but there is another model, which is we want it to be, um, you know, we want to have Michael Saylor, Tom Brady, Paris Hilton, and all of those people on board with Bitcoin. We want to have millions of people tweeting about it on Twitter every day. And uh, we want to make it the most politically unpopular thing to do to try and confiscate Bitcoins. And we want to make it so that it's political suicide. And we're also making it so that it is economic suicide because, you know, you're taking, you d- again, the key thing here is to get the coins off exchanges. So, if you have coins off of exchanges, you make it very, very expensive for them to try and go after individual coins to try and stop, and they can't stop the network itself. So you still can take your coins halfway around the world. Your coins will still work anywhere you take them. And maybe that's, maybe that's, that's really the protection that we're going to uh, survive on. I mean, I think, uh, I mean, yeah, I realistically, protect- realistically, it is both. Obviously, it's good, you know, I realistically we'd have both. We'd have a world in which, Michael Saylor and Tom Brady are promoting Bitcoin. And also you have enough security that it can hide in case of government confiscation. But again, obviously a lot of people are going to take all of this conversation the wrong way that SAFE is saying that we shouldn't have privacy on Bitcoin. That's not the point that I'm making. The point that I'm making is that even if we don't have privacy on Bitcoin, Bitcoin is big and strong enough that it'll still survive. So I'm, I'm very both on the argument, of course, uh, that uh, if that, that basically the uh, privacy use cases are like a canary in the in the coast mine. So if they can work, then saving can work as well. Your counter argument, which is normalizing saving as a non-controversial and non-private, because there is nothing wrong in saving, can socially protect us more or or the same level. Uh, I think it's more dubious because like uh, uh, Michael Saylor and Tom Brady and Paris Hilton, I'm sure they did own or some of them own restaurants and stuff and still they could not uh, stop the, the lockdowns of restaurants. So even if, if it was, I mean, you can normalize saving, but even walking in the street without a face diaper was normal. And, uh, and when emergency strikes, normal can just disappear. Like social normalization, it's a protection but I don't think it's as strong as a protection as individual tools to escape uh, uh, government and social uh, censorship attempts. So I, I, I don't think we should antagonize governments uh, without reason. Uh, it's difficult for me, but I agree with your point. We should not probably, this is just a point Satoshi did, uh, uh, made as well. When there was WikiLeaks adopting Bitcoin, Satoshi said, wait, wait, don't. We don't want to kick that uh, 
uh, that, uh, that that hornet nest yet. We we cannot afford that. We 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 are not strong enough. So there is some reason not to be uh, needlessly uh, antagonizing with governments. But I think that uh, thinking at the worst case scenario is is safer. I think that actually we will have both also because of geographical distinction. I think that some countries, the ones that have the, the, the less to lose from giving up the fear standards like El Salvador or Ecuador or Panama or whatever, these dollarized countries, they will probably not criminalize Bitcoin saving or Bitcoin transaction as well. While I think the United States, I mean, even if you, under, even if you are extremely low term preference for a US senator or, pre, or president, presidential candidate, if you really think about what your government spending increased trend can be if you take out uh, money printing, I, I think that will basically destroy your inside. Even if, even, I mean, even if you become rich individually because you own Bitcoin, being a president on a platform of cutting the budget of the federal government back to uh, before fiat standards, I think that would be too much suicidal. So I think the United States will eventually go on a... I, I, I don't know, but I think yeah. it's, it's, it's plausible enough that they will go full censorship and, and confiscation that, uh, that assuming that scenario for our everyday culture building and tool building is wise, even if it's not certain. The last thing I wanted to, to answer to you was about second layers. I completely agree. I think that uh, changing the base layer for privacy feature will be always too problematic. Maybe we can have something which is called cross-input signature aggregation, which is a technical thing that may benefit Bitcoin without huge trade-offs, but stuff like confidential transaction and stuff like that, uh, that also affects Bitcoin security because uh, if you receive a Bitcoin payment, for example, you usually wait for a number of confirmation based on the amount that you receive. And if the amounts are obfuscated, you don't know uh, how much the blocks uh, move as value, so you don't know how much security to wait for with block confirmation. So I don't think we will have st very strong uh, changes in, in first layer. Privacy will probably move on the second layer. And I think that as, uh, uh, as Alfini said, we may have Bitcoin banks, 1,000, 100,000 Bitcoin banks on top uh, of, uh, of uh, the base layer. They may be trustless lightning channels, as you said. They may, they may be trusted banks like Alfine imagined, or something in between like Xiaomi and Xiaomi and Federation and stuff like that. So that's a very likely scenario. I think privacy will be on the margins. It, it, it doesn't have anything to do with confidential transaction and cryptography per se. It's more like having also always the option to, uh, to, 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 to clean, to launder basically, to, uh, yeah. to, 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 to confound the, 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 the trackability, I agree. I'll say uh, one uh, interesting uh, thought that occurs to me uh, on uh, the US government clampdown on uh, Bitcoin. We have an interesting Trojan horse strategy here happening where perhaps what's going to happen is that actually the rise of uh, Bitcoin is not going to uh, come at the expense of the dollar initially, particularly because of stable coins. Because stable coins are all built around the dollar, what's happening, and we were discussing this with Paolo last week, you know, currently they're worth, uh, Tether is worth something like $60 billion, and they're deciding to move that predominantly now into U.S. treasuries. So at $60 trillion, they, are, they become the 20th biggest central bank in the world in terms of their U.S. treasury holdings. 
and um, you can expect it's it's conceivable that Tether can do a 10x in volume. It's not conceivable that you know your average central bank is going to do a 10x in treasuries. Or I mean, conceivable, but it's less likely that they'll do 10x in treasuries. Um, so if they keep continuing to grow, Tether and stablecoins in general might end up being the best tool for the US government to deliver its dollar to the world, much more efficient than having foreign central banks do it. And um, politically and geopolitically quite convenient for the US government, because what it does is it takes the power away from other governments and makes people dependent directly on the US government. So effectively, you um, undercut your, uh, you know, you undercut the Mexican and Brazilian and uh, Chinese and uh, Lebanese central banks, who essentially, if you want to understand what a central bank does in the fiat world, they're, they're a local monopoly dollar dealer. They are your only ability, their only way for you in Lebanon or Brazil to get dollars is to go through your central bank. So they have a monopoly on it. And, you know, the dollar is being devalued to finance the U.S. government and its cronies. And then your local Brazilian shitcoin is being devalued to finance the Brazilian government and its cronies. Stable coins are going to allow the Brazilian people and the American people to uh, <laughs> cut out the Brazilian government, sorry, the American government and the Brazilian people to engage in a direct fleecing relationship with one another where the US government can just rob Brazilians directly and they'll rob them less than the um, uh, American and Brazilian government used to rob them together. So you put the Brazilian government out of business effectively and you put third world governments out of business because you take away their seniorage. And then um, the U.S. government benefits enormously because it's getting senior. So it, it'll get a very small level of inflation that it can export to the whole world more efficiently. Um, and that's going to ter be terrible for national governments uh, other than the U.S. But it's going to be great for Bitcoin because... That means that uh, the U.S. government is not going to clamp down on Bitcoin and digital currencies in general because they like the fact that this is, it might end up being the major demand for treasuries. You know, to think about it, we might end up in a world in which Tether becomes geopolitically important for the U.S. government because we need to have trillions of dollars in stable coins out there for the world. And it's how we're bankrupting all these other countries they can't have armies anymore because their people can't you they can't rob their people with inflation and we are the only ones who get seniors so in this kind of situation you can see why your scenario of increasing uh, clampdown becomes less likely because the rise of bitcoin is accompanied by the rise of the dollar as all the other currencies are dying and then you know um there's enough there's enough dead bodies for both Bitcoin and the dollar to feast for decades. And by the time Bitcoin is feasted, it'll become bigger than the dollar and then it can eat the dollar when it's too late. <laughs> I'm not saying it's impossible. And I also hope that happens because that means less risk for me. Also, I'm a very good friend with Paolo. So that means that I will have a very rich friend, which is always convenient. And uh, but, but there are a lot of assumptions in this scenario that has to go well. The first one is that they do allow uh, Tether and also Bitcoin uh, as opposed to only Tether and not Bitcoin. There is not, in, there is not an intrinsic reason uh, to, to stay away from a scenario in which they just say, uh, Paolo, you just go on 
exporting our money to other regimes so we can export inflation. And at the same time, uh, Bitcoin, I mean, Bitcoin is becoming a problem for capital flight from the dollar. So we just ban Bitcoin and you keep on with, with Tether. The second step would be, I mean, you're a, you're a great guy, Paolo, but I mean, you're from Italy. You're not even a connected uh, Wall Street guy. Let's maybe move to circle money, which is the same, can have the same effects, but maybe we put the back door into the code directly for direct confiscation and we can trust the, the Wall Street guys more than you guys from Switzerland. Uh, I mean, so the, the second step could be that. I, I, the, the third problem will be that as long as Bitcoin, as long as if fiat goes into hyperinflation, the term stable coin itself that we are using would become utterly ridiculous because those are fiat coin. Those are basically dollar credit. And it's stable just as long as the US dollar is perceived as stable in all these countries. If we go into dollar uh, final phase of, of fiat uh, degeneration, then demand for, for fiat representation on or off blockchain plausible deniability structures uh, may fall as well. So I don't disagree that may happen. All the scenarios you are listing, I think they are reasonable, but uh, I, I think that they are like not dominant. Like the, the, I still convinced that dominant scenario may be uh, black market increasing and the white market restricting and collapsing under their own uh, control freak delusion in which uh, uh, high time preference is try to control it, try, try to take it, try to uh, nationalize it, nationalize data and not just allow it. So maybe, I, I, again, I hope you're right because, uh, because uh, yeah, because Paul is a friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I think I, I'm beginning to be won over to the fact that uh, the stable coins are going to be a massive Trojan horse for Bitcoin, um, for the dollar and then for Bitcoin. Um, all right, Peter, you have a question. So thank you, Guacamo. That was fascinating. I had a question related to people who maybe have less of a technical background on Bitcoin and are concerned about privacy and the darkness of their Bitcoin transactions. So I wondered whether you could outline for us some simple do's and don'ts regarding how people can increase the darkness of their use of Bitcoin. Sure. I will go back to the framework that I use with, with Stefan Oliveira and, and now, uh, which is this framework of three steps. First step is the first level of darkness, your private key. That should be dark. Only you should know it. So that just means don't use custodial services, which, as we discussed, may probably be the, the low-hanging fruits of confiscation. So you should be the only one knowing your keys, uh, replicate them enough that you don't lose them, but don't let them around, including like uh, notary services or, or lawyers, uh, because, because Bitcoin, is a, uh, as, as for now, my thesis is that it's a very good uh, beer instrument, and uh, even your, your notary or your uh, security box uh, manager could plausibly say that it was not him moving by the Bitcoin, it was you because you have another copy. So I will not let the private key, even in the, in the, in the ownership of uh, notaries, services for, for, for inheritance or stuff like that. So controller key is the first step. The second step is basically create as much distinction, distinction as you can from your physical identity and your public keys, which basically means, one, uh, you can just progress. You don't have to start from the perfection. Just progress. The first thing is don't reuse addresses when you can avoid to reuse addresses. Don't put your address 
on your blog or donation page as I did in Bitcoin Talk for years, that, that's bad. Just use an Ellen URL to receive lighting or something else, but don't put a static address, which is always the same. And uh, three, uh, do when you give up identity uh, information, like when you buy KYC or stuff, do coin join. Even if you risk to get your account uh, temporarily frozen or stuff, I will risk it because there you break the, the history bef- be, uh, from, from your withdrawal and everything else you do. Now, if you want to give up that history again, because you need it to be allowed to do something, you still can. You can uh, ask for an external uh, technical party to help you. I did it for my clients. Well, like there was a client that wanted to sell some Bitcoin for a house. He did coin join a lot. I just took his wallet and showed everything he did because he wanted to disclose. So if you coin join, you, you still can disclose if you want. For example, if you want to show you're not involved with a drug dealer on the other side of the coin join, you can. But it, might, it should be you deciding when to disclose uh, on, on your strategy, not on their strategy. And, uh, and the third part will be just to avoid linking am- among your, your, your public keys, which is basically learning coin control, which is the most difficult part of all. Uh, I don't expect any uh, new user to be able to do that. It's fine. Uh, as we said, attacks on, on ownership will probably come first to the low-hanging fruit. So exchanges, if you have your wallet, you're, you're still better off. Then you go to the, to the guys that link their identity directly with some public keys. Uh, and then they will try to use uh, pr- uh, public key connection heuristics in order to say, okay, uh, so uh, sorry, in the second step, one other thing that I always forget to mention, don't uh, use uh, stuff like uh, Ledger Live or Trezor Suite in ClearNet because in, when you do that, you basically connect your IP with all your on-chain addresses. So the, there is a company somewhere with a list of your IP addresses and all your Bitcoin addresses. And your IP addresses is just one phone call away from your legal name. So use stuff like uh, Spectre. You may, you may use the Ledger, the call card, and, um, and the Trezor, but use them not with their uh, default web interface. Use them, use them with the Sparrow, Electrum, Spectre, and uh, there, there are a lot of good tutorials for that. So what's your opinion of payment processes like BTC Pay? Where do they, do they provide much benefit by way of privacy when receiving on-chain? In a sense, yes. Because, for example, instead of linking your, uh, in your blog, instead of putting your address, which is very bad, you put the link to your payment page that will generate an address for donation or stuff. So having a server is better than not. Also, default for BTC Pay server can be Tor, which is not great against NSA looking at you again. It's a question of scale. It's great against you, your ISP spying on you on local level. Tor is great. If you are Assange, that will not help you. But if you are just a guy that doesn't want to be spied upon from the ISP, uh, using Tor uh, is great. The BTC Pay server with Tor is a problem. Like in, you, If you go in my website, and you book an hour of my time, uh, you will see, you will not go on Tor, otherwise your browser will not allow it. So I, had, I need a service from my Raspberry Pi to the website, which is Tor to IP service, which is a little bit complicated. But, uh, but anyway, having a BTCP server is better than just using a, um, a centralized third party or like BitPay for sure. And it's also better than reusing a single address. So I would, uh, I would allow you. For a small amount, check out Lightning. 
is still early, so it's still evolving, but there are stuff like uh, LN URL that I just mentioned. It's just a URL, and, and then you get the money directly without, without trusting the, the third party. And it can work with good privacy if you do that properly. Okay, thank you. All right, anybody else have any questions? I think we've uh, basically finished everything. <laughs> we went over everything, haven't we? <laughs> yeah, yeah, bit. we did. This we was did. the final word. I'm glad we settled everything. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you, I think you can stay in the center of my presentation next time. <laughs> okay, great, great. No, I still, I still do want to. Um, we're going to be having Matt Odell coming on soon to discuss uh, best practices. We didn't have time to get into this in detail today, um, but like yeah. practical. I, Matt would be great. The only yeah. argue, uh, the only issue I will have with with uh, with him is that he's relying a lot on the samurai stack, which I really don't think is a good idea. That would be our main disagreement, but I think it will make a very closer argument to mine about yeah. the, the scope and the, and the goal. Yeah, I do want to discuss this with Matt and uh, look at also, you know, start talking more practically about the uh, practical options for privacy and the limitations. And uh, okay, so you do have cases of people with small sums of money having gotten away with it. Um, you do mention that, but um, I think it's still an open question whether this is going to remain the case moving forward. I might, uh, I think I want to host somebody from a chain analysis companies as well to see to see them make the case for why they think they can track things down. Perhaps we could also organize a debate with the- That would be great. I think they yeah. are overselling a lot what they can do. Uh, I, I, well, I think in most trivial cases, they can do a lot of stuff because people are not caring for privacy. But as, as, as soon as people start to be smart a little bit, most of the things they are, they are, uh, they are claiming to be able to do just fall down immediately. So yeah, real right. socialism, right? Real privacy. Exactly. That was not real chain analysis. <laughs> it was not real chain analysis. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much, Giacomo. This has been extremely fascinating and informative and helpful. Appreciate you and appreciate your time and uh, keep doing what you do and stay toxic, my friend. I will. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Cheers. Take care. Cheers.